Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressively podcast with yours truly, Sincere Hogan, and my partner, Mike Mahler. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. How you doing? Oh, man, we got a good one this week, man. It's like these, each week to guest, man, it's just like getting better and better. It's a little scary. It's just a little scary, yeah. like, dude, we're, hope we never, like, cap out here, man. But, you know, but <laughs> this is got another it. good one right here, man. Absolutely. We have we have world-renowned strength coach Charles Daly, one of the guys I really looked up to, still do, early in my career. He gave me a lot of good advice. And I, what I always liked about Charles is he was always a voice of reason. In other words, you're not going to see training tips on doing power cleans on an indo board from Charles or, you know, or doing uh, – No, no, Mike, you haven't, seen my, you haven't seen my last video. <laughs> <laughs> so that was – so you used to be a good straight coach. That's what this yeah. shows. Uh, yeah, don't don't follow anything he does now. You got to look at nineteen. What about two thousand two back? Two thousand two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, uh, draw a line. Draw a line about two thousand four and cap it right there. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite programs that Charles put out is EDT, escalating yeah, density yeah. training, which is actually you know it was something that I was actually thinking about trying out again. I haven't done it in a long time, but I did it. I did it way back in the day after reading Charles' book, and I did it with a kettlebell-based program, and I got great results doing it, wrote about it. A bunch of other people got great results with it. So, I mean, people still email me to this day and say they love Charles' EDT program. So we'll, we'll We were just talk talking about it last week, Mike. You know, yeah. just, you know, just kind of how I discovered you was actually through, right. you know, as I was Googling, you know, like EDT with kettlebells because I had come across Charles right around the same time when he put that program out, and I was just kind of interested, like, can this be done with kettlebells? And that's how I found Mike. You know, probably like 2003, 2004, or something like that. So, and we were just talking about this on last week's show, and hey, man, lo and behold, look who we have on the show now. <laughs> and oh, that, yeah. wasn't even, that wasn't even planned. <laughs> no, it wasn't even planned. I, just, I was just like, you know what? Let's get him on the show. I see every it's time I've talking about it. interaction with him on Facebook recently. I've been curious what he's been up to. And I, I first came across his work when he had a column in Muscle and uh, not Muscle and Fitness, Muscle Media Magazine, Muscle Ask a Strength Media, Coach. Wow. And, and so many, so many high-level strength coaches had that column. Charles Poliquin's had it. Charles Bailey's had it. Uh, Pavel Sotsalin had it for a while. I'm not sure who else at a high level did, but all three of those guys are very successful. So there's yeah. definitely something magical about that column. Or maybe they just pick good coaches. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> let's. Let's, let's find out what's going on with you, Charles, because a lot of us haven't heard from you in years. There's kind of been a gap in, I think, quite a few people yeah. are calling. Is, is that guy still in the business? What is he up to? So, so what yeah. have you been up to lately? Well, um, boy, I, I, let's see if I can encapsulate this without dominating the whole podcast. But, um, yeah, well, you know, sometimes life gets in the way. And um, uh, so I guess, I guess kind of long story short is um, uh, I was married and uh, – uh, let's see how I can phrase this without, you know, I want to kind of take the high road on this because my, my, uh, my ex-wife is, uh, not here to defend herself. And, right. uh, you know, and, 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 you know, whenever you're in a marriage, it's, you know, you have to, you have to take responsibility. If, even if it's not your fault, just because you can only control your own actions. I mean, I think that's one of the things that people, I think miss when it comes to taking, trying to take responsibility is like, it's about just controlling what you can control. But, but anyway, I, you know, um, there were, let's just say there were addiction issues in my marriage and uh, my life kind of got bigger than I could, um, you know, really control. And uh, the whole thing kind of imploded on me. So we kind of, you know, lost everything. Um, 
you know, lost the business, lost the house. Um, this has gone back like, you know, two and a half, three years ago. Um, the divorce was in late 2011. So I've been kind of rebuilding myself. So I'm, I, I am still doing uh, all the stuff I always did, but I'm, I'm doing a lot of work. You know, I'm, I'm training clients in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm still doing seminars. Um, you, probably, you guys probably see I'm still writing for uh, Teen Nation. Mm-hmm. Those guys have been great for me. And right. So I'm writing for those guys. And I'm also doing, Mike, I know you know Tim Larkin because he's yeah. right in Las Vegas with you. So yeah. we, are, we are kind of working on a startup over there called Target Focus Fitness. Um, their main business, of course, being target-focused training, which is a self-protection system. And it's right, Mike. I know you know about it, but it's it's the most brilliant. You know, I mean, it's just even, even as a fitness person, when you look at their system, you're just like, wow. I, I really would love to have a system based on science and logic, and that I can apply to fitness that these guys have taken with self-defense. You know, it's just it's amazing. Yeah. The job they do, and, and no, Tim's, like, a, Tim's a great guy, great instructor. Yeah. I've, I've, I haven't taken his course, unfortunately, but I've sat in on it a few times, just segments of it, and yeah, he's very good at teaching everyday people very effective self-defense moves. Excellent instructor, just good old, good all around guy. Yeah, it really is. So I'm, I'm just kind of doing all of that, but that's so. Yeah, I've been, I've been sort of off the grid compared to how I was in the past, but, but um, but just kind of rebuilding, and it's. Uh, you know, you called me one of the most successful coaches, but, you know, you can be successful on one level. It's kind of funny when you see someone's public persona. Right. You know, right. probably most people out there think I'm, like, you know, living on a yacht somewhere, and, it, you know, <laughs> not, it's certainly not true. I mean, I, I think you could say that I'm maybe an influential person in the field. Um, I think I can say that. But um, oh, Definitely. You know, yeah. then whether or not – you never know when you look at all these people out on the Internet, and, you know, you really – you know, there's, there's people out there that you never hear or see from who are really making big money, and then there are people who yeah. look like they're making tons of money and not, and then everywhere right. in between. So there's a difference between, I think, being an influential figure and whether or not you're successful financially or, you know, or in any other level of life. I mean, I, I was talking to a client yesterday, and, and one of the points that I was trying to make, this was somebody who's actually a prospective client, and she's overweight, and, and you know, I try to be sympathetic to that. Because, you know, most of us have some pocket of our lives that we're not doing too well at, and it is right. very difficult to, to be successful in your physical and, and health and in your finances and in your relationships and in your, if you're a father or, you know, spiritually. Or, you know, it's very difficult. And honestly, I, I really don't know many people at all who seem to be doing well in all those categories. So you kind of right. make decisions, I guess. I mean, I guess – when you look at all of us and, and you see where we're successful and where we're not, I mean, you're looking at where people have put their energy. Right. Right. Definitely. Right? No, so true. How is what what happened how how involved were you with your business while you were going through all of this personal stuff? Did you have to put everything on hold and just deal with that? Or were you were you able to maintain a certain level of work still? Well, I think, you know, kind of what happened, and, and I don't mind talking about this at all, but at the same time, I, I, I don't want to – I want to sort of give privacy to, to other people involved. Oh, yeah, of course. Basically, Definitely. what happened is I'm basically up all night dealing with my personal life, and, 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 and then I'm running on fumes trying to run my business, and um, it just got away from me, you know, and right. I just could not – I just literally could not – now, I don't know if it was lack of skill or lack of drive or who knows, you know. I, I, I just – my life was more than I could really 
manage. And it's just kind of, you know, and, and, and by the way, and, you know, there are people out, I mean, it's just amazing. There are people out there, several people, that I owe money to. And, like, I just never thought I would be in this position, and I'm struggling to try to pay people back. And there's probably people listening to this, or, you know, God knows, you know, and they're like, that fucker owes me money, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I, I said to you before we started recording, Mike, like, the, the thing I've learned from this that, like, I would have never thought of three years ago is it's amazing how much damage you can do to other people, not, you know, without even intending to do it, but just because you make one bad decision that puts you kind of in a corner and then you make another risky decision and then, you know, you make another decision and before you know it, like, you're, you're underwater and, you know, you never intended it, but nonetheless, it's, it's still your responsibility. And so I don't mean to be too vague, but that's just generically kind of what happened. And um, so, you know, I'm just trying to run lean and mean right now and I'm doing all my work as an independent contractor and just, you know, I, I don't have employees, I don't have inventory, I don't have, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, right. And, um, I, you know, some people are good at that stuff, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in entrepreneurialism. I'm, I think I'm somewhat conversant in it, but I don't know if you'd agree, Mike, but, like, I, I don't know if it's something that can be taught or not. I, I mean, I think there are some people who just have sort of an intrinsic knack for that stuff, and I don't. And yeah, so, I think I, I, I kind of meet you halfway on that in, yeah. in one sense. I think I think it's definitely a learned skill, but I also believe there's kind of an intuitive factor that can't be taught as well. And I feel like I've done fairly well because I've been able to combine stuff that I've learned via experience and just reading books, attending seminars, and as well as a little bit of an intuition, which I can't quite describe to others. It's almost like you get a little feeling on what direction you should go in. So you do all of the research. You know what the logical yeah. way to go is, and then there's kind of that little intuition that says, you know what, I bet this will work out if you go this way. Yeah. And I'm not always right. You know, I do things as well yeah. that, that bomb, but unfortunately for me, the things that do go right make up for all the things that don't. And I, they, but you I, know, it's but funny, I, and, and I just get the you're right. I, I just, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I feel that the mistakes so many people make in our industry, and I don't think it's just our industry. I think it's pretty much every industry, any entrepreneurial endeavor is no one takes the time to learn the business. Like one of my favorite yeah. bands. Oh, very true. One of my favorite bands is Hollywood Undead. A bunch of young guys, kind of a rap rock band, really cool stuff. But anyway, I was watching an interview with them the other day, and it, it was kind of funny for me to watch because I was like, wow, these guys are making me feel old because they're in their 20s and they've kind of got that, that naivete. And I'm watching right. going, no, 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 guys. I, I wish I was in the room with them because, like, it's like it's <laughs> turned them in the right direction. You know, so I've gone from that guy where you're watching people like that going, wow, these guys are awesome. They've got the life to, nah, here's what you guys are doing wrong. Here's what I think you could do better. But the, but the big thing that stuck out to me was how they, they're like, you know what, we go on tour. A lot of times we don't make any money by the time we finish coming back because we have to pay out so many people. We have to pay out the booking yeah. agent, the person, that person. And then I'm thinking to myself, you've got six guys in a band, right? Six MCs, and then they have a drummer and so forth they hire. Why doesn't one of you guys figure out the game? You know, figure out the business the way people like 50 Cent have, Shay Z have, because these guys go way beyond just being entertainers. They're extremely yeah. successful yeah, business people, exactly. and they took the time to learn those skills. And, yep. I, and I'm looking at this band, and I'm like, you guys are going to be dead in the water in a couple of years. If you don't learn the business, because otherwise people are just going to rip you off for the rest of your career. Yep. And so many young yep. guys in bands make this mistake is they're like, look, I just want to focus on writing music, 
working on my craft. I don't want to deal with accounting. I don't want to deal with this. And I hear so many people in our business say the same thing. I mean, I know, I know a fairly well-known strength coach who says, oh, I'm just going to give all my money to this guy overseas to manage because I don't want to deal with it. I was like, well, you're not going to have to deal with any money, period, because that sounds yeah. like the worst idea ever. You're going to give all your money to a guy overseas. That, that's, that's that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sound smart. <laughs> Won't you just hand him your bank account, social security number, too, and yeah, yeah. let I him mean, tap in all of that. And like, hey, man, have free reign. But, <laughs> you know what? This is, this is like a universal – this is like a universal phenomenon. Yeah. In my former life, I used to be a martial arts instructor in Rhinebeck, uh-huh. New York. And, you know, I think I was very good at what I did, but I struggled financially. I guess I should have uh, paid attention to that, you know, way back. But we, I had a competitor who was 10 miles down the road, and I did not think he was a good instructor, but he was kicking my ass in a business sense. And I remember really resenting it and, and feeling jealous about it. Right. And, you know, of course, looking back, I'm like, well, he, he understood business and he understood, you know, my, my, goal, my goal first and foremost was to be a good instructor, and that's what I took pride in. And right. guess what? I got, I got what I focused on. Like, I don't believe, like, I'm not into the whole secret thing, you know, or what, what is that, the attraction thing? Yeah, law of attraction. <laughs> yeah, okay, so that's been bastardized. But, there's, look, there's a kernel of truth in that. I got what I focused on, and he right. got what he focused on. Exactly. And I think that's where a lot of a lot of business people leave out right there. It's just like, look, dude, if you don't want to be involved with all this different these different aspects of your business, guess what? You won't be <laughs> because those those opportunities won't even be there for you to be involved in. And then you're left just wondering, like, and Mike and I always talk about this, especially like in the first um, couple of shows. Then you end up being that guy at Home Depot talking about how you used to be in the business. <laughs> but now you're helping me find some wood and some PVC pipes so I can make some some roll some stuff to keep it like roll out on now <laughs> before the workouts. But yeah, man, it's it's, it's you got to just make that decision. Like you know, are you gonna do it? Go all the way with it. You can't just pick and choose. But like I said, do those yeah. things that you're great at. And then if you are gonna outsource, man, you got to be very particular about what you're gonna outsource to someone. And then you got to kind of limit them at that. Don't give them just free reign. You know, right. just like. I'm not going to tell everybody out there make a website if you're not good at graphic design or you're not good at putting sites together. But at the same time, while someone's doing it for you, won't you try to learn the basics? So next time, or in the time after that, and the time after that, you have to keep out, you know, continue to hire people over and over and over. Find it's always good to have a system. Go ahead and get the template started. Let somebody design the template for you, and then from there, you, you always have it. You always have that stencil to go from there. Right. And it's yeah. kind of like this. I mean, even if even if you don't design the website yourself, you should at least know how to make updates yourself. Exactly. You don't have to hire them. Yeah. Like anytime I want to add a workshop to my website, imagine if I had to contact my web designer, oh. wait for him to do it. But no, I mean, I can go in there anytime I want, add a new product, modify a product, get rid of a page, add a page. I mean, those things are not difficult to do. And I, I think a lot of people make the mistake, just like a lot of these bands doing it. They just want to focus on the fun stuff teaching and training. And I get that. I think that's important. Like you said, Charles, you have to be a good instructor and you have to have enthusiasm for training. Yeah. No question. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just a fraud. There's no doubt about that. But unfortunately, just being good at those things, somehow people feel like if, if I'm just good at this and I'm passionate enough, the rest of it will take care of, of itself. And it really just doesn't work that way, at least not in my case or well, anyone. I've you seen know, it, here, here's something, too, like if, if you want to learn from my mistakes, okay, and, and that, that would be a Ph.D. education. But, <laughs> you, know, you know, honestly, your ego can really cause you to make bad decisions, too. And, and here's the hilarious oh, yeah. thing. Like, I think most people think of me as like a self-effacing, humble guy. And 
it's not for me to say if I am or not, but I mean, I made a lot of bad decisions just because, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, like I'm, I'm Charles fucking Staley, goddammit. I can't be training clients out of my basement. Like, you know, so then right. you think you have to have this big training facility and shit, look at Mark Verstegen. He has this huge place in Phoenix and like, you know, I need to like, and then, but you don't need to do that. Right. You know, because ultimately what matters is, you know, if, if, you give, if you're a trainer or a coach and you give somebody a good experience and they make progress, they really don't care if it's in a multi-million dollar facility or if, you know, you know what I mean? All of that stuff yeah. is superfluous. And, and, Mike, I think you've done just a great job with that because you, you've done what I guess I told you to do years ago, but I didn't follow myself, which is just <laughs> don't, don't get trapped by all that stuff. And, and you are running a lean and mean business, and you're one of the more successful guys out there, and you're making it work for you. So, I mean, I think that's the way to do it. No, I appreciate that. And, and I did learn a lot of good stuff from you. I definitely learned the importance of, getting good at marketing, writing good ad copy. And you, you said one thing to me, as I mentioned before we got on the call, that it's not always how much you make, it's what you keep. And I always remember that. In fact, whenever your name comes up, I always think of that quote you said. And, it, and it's so true because I think some people feel that, that they're, just, they're just making money and burning it, making money and burning it. And, and then they're never reinvesting it back in their business, which is the other big mistake a lot of entrepreneurs make is they work hard and they start making money. And now they think, okay, now it's time to just go upgrade to a bigger house, get some new cars. Let's start going on fancy vacations. Let's start buying a lot of stuff, which is not going to help build your business. If anything, it's going to take away rather than reinvesting right back in, keep going for the next idea, because you can't just be one person all the time. You know, early in my career, I started off as just a kettlebell guy. That's it. And that's all I did. And I wrote articles yeah. and other things, but for the most part, I was known as a kettlebell guy, and to a large degree, still am. But early in my career, I decided this is my gateway in. I want to get really good at this skill set, so that's all I focused on. But that's not all I do now. Now it's segued into hormone optimization. I'm designing supplements. I'm doing other things. And oh, Mike, I've, always, I've, I've always followed my instincts in terms of what I like, but I, I, the money I made from kettlebell training – I invested back into my business to start my supplements, to start everything else I do. I didn't have to borrow a dime from anyone, not a bank loan or anything. Okay, so listen, a, uh, Mike, I want to do a commercial for your, for your testosterone booster, okay? Oh, that'd be great. So, so <laughs> Mike, Mike didn't ask me to do this. He didn't know I wanted to do, you know, but Mike, so you were nice enough to send me a, a bottle of your testosterone booster. At, it was like three months ago or something? Yeah, yeah, about a couple months ago. And so um, people know I've been open about the fact that I, I – I am on testosterone replacement therapy. I have been since I was about 48 years old, and I told Mike that, and he's like, well, let's just see what happens. So, and I tend to be, I tend to be very, I, I'm like reverse placebo effect when it comes to supplements and stuff like that. I just have a very jaundiced view about it. Mike, I don't even, you, this will make you, I don't even take creatine. Like, I just don't notice things from supplements. I just, I never, you know, I don't know, I just, I just don't notice that anything seems to really sort of help me with stuff like that. But anyway, right. so, um, you know, and honestly, I looked up all the active ingredients on examine.com, and, and the research on it was just kind of, eh, you know, but you were nice enough to send it to me, so I started taking it. And, and by the way, I want people to know, too, like, like you're in the same position. People send you stuff because you're a well-known name, so people send you stuff to try and typically then what starts happening is they hound you and hound you. And how do you like it? How do you like it? How is it? How is it? Right, you right. Know, I want you to do testimony, which, by the way, like, it's okay, you know. But Mike never did that. I, like, Mike, you never called me back to ask me how it was or, like, anything like that. 
So you're probably wondering how it was, so I'm going to tell you right now, okay? Great. So as part of my sort of TRT stuff, I have my blood drawn every 12 weeks, and this has been going on for four years. And my, my typical total testosterone tends to be between six and seven. They don't really like you being more than about nine. Right. And, you know, you know when you get an injection every week, you have peaks and valleys, so it's not yes. like you're straight across. But So if you're, if you're nine, seven days after the injection, then two days after maybe you were 13 or 14. Or, right, exactly. But anyway, so I started taking the um, supplement. And I would say two weeks in, like, I really started noticing an increase in libido. And, and then I always sit back and I'm like, all right, I'm imagining this stuff and, you know, whatever. So, but I still was a little nervous. I, I planned, it's a 30-day dose, so I planned it so that just in case it did work, I wanted to give myself, like, a week before I finished the, the, the 30 days before I had my next blood drawn just because – I don't, want, I don't want my T to be too high, and then they lower my dose, you know. Right, That's right. how smart I am. So, <laughs> anyway, so I finished, I, finished the, um, I finished the bottle eight days before I had my blood run, and um, my total T came out at 987. Wow. Yeah, and they almost lowered my dose, and the only reason they didn't is because they, they just looked back at all my, my blood draws, and they're like, well, I don't know what happened, but maybe the lab screwed up or maybe this is just like an outlier kind of a, a measurement or something. Um, and, and then, actually, I just had um, – I haven't ordered more from you, which I need to do, actually. But I, uh, I just had my blood drawn a week ago, and it was like about 7-12. So um, I think the supplement works. And so no, it, we're, look, we're it's both to- totally It's totally anecdotal. I don't know. It's just me, but I'm just telling you yeah. my experience. Oh, that's cool. Now, were you taking it at the same time as TRT both times, or were you? Yeah, taking... I was. I was. I was. So it measured higher than your previous test, where it was just TRT. Yeah, it brought me from about six fifty-seven to almost a thousand. Yeah, but you know that's interesting because I've heard that from some other guys on TRT where they're saying that their their number went higher when they took both together, and yeah. So the theory behind that is that the bulbine or the other ingredients in my testosterone booster, but it's primarily the bulbine that's the cornerstone ingredient, that will basically have your testicles keep producing testosterone even when you're taking right. an exogenous source such as TRT. Right. So this, right. it's, an, it's an interesting mix. Uh, it's possible that perhaps taking the both together will help prevent natural shutdown from occurring or just act yeah, as, I mean, I, as I, I a, don't know. a supplemental boost. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing. Maybe, it's some, maybe it could be something where – you cycle off TRT so that you remain sensitive to it because what happens to a lot of guys when they take TRT for a long time is they notice diminishing returns over time, and that's just because you've become desensitized to it. And this sure, can happen sure. to anything you take, whether it's an herb, whether it's, whether it's a drug, no matter what it is, like alcohol, for example. First time you ever yeah. have a couple of drinks, you're getting a big buzz, and then if you have it every day for a month, you're not going to notice that effect anymore. You've become desensitized. But if you take a month off and then start up again, bam, you're sensitive again. So there's a couple interesting things that could be playing around over there. I would, I would be curious to see what your T level would be if you went off of TRT altogether and just took the aggressive strength. Yeah. I mean, that's not something that you have to do unless you want to try it out. I would just, yeah, I would just be curious to see what, what would happen there because yeah. it's yeah, like a kind of nice boost. Yeah, it's, it's cool, though. It's cool. That it's, what's really, anyway, what's really interesting know, is, I, yeah, what's interesting yeah, is the fact that it went I, I, up I, with it. Yeah, no, I mean, I just was feeling a little guilty because I hadn't gotten back to you on that. 
But, um, no, I appreciate that. And, and like you said, I don't like, like to bother people. I send, I send out a bunch of bottles to my friends and people I respect. And, you know, like, so, like I sent a couple bottles to Sincere, and he can attest that I wasn't bothering him every day going, what's going on? And I also, also I don't – sometimes, like you said, when people send you stuff, there's almost like an, an obligatory testimonial that they respect, expect in return. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't yeah. do that. So my attitude is, if you want to send me something, fine. You know, I'll give you my honest feedback. But if I think it sucks, you know, I'm not yeah. necessarily going to go blast that on Facebook, but I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rather, yeah. Like I had a company send me some uh, protein bars recently, and they weren't any good. <laughs> and they, they kind of implied that they were they're like, oh, how'd you like the bars? We'd love to get your feedback to put on the website. I was like, well. My feedback is your bar sucks. I don't know if you want to put that on your website, but uh, it's just, just to be honest with you, and of course I never heard from them again after that. Stuff like, well, I mean, also, I mean, you, you know, it's a litmus test for you as the product developer. I mean, if you, I mean, if if you really think it sucks and you send it to people and you expect testimonials, I mean, you can't expect. Do you know what I mean? Uh, right. You have to expect honest feedback. So anyway, yeah, so that was that's, my that's experience. A, and oh, I appreciate that. That's, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. No, and then, you know, to be honest with people listening, there, there definitely have been some non-responders. I would say about maybe 3% of people buying just didn't notice anything, and I gave those people refunds, no hassle. But honestly, I think I probably could have gotten better results even with the, with the majority of those 3% just with modifying the dose. Because with bulbine, if you take too much of it, it works on a bell curve where it can actually be counterproductive. Like it may actually lower your testosterone. So it's, it's not one of those things where more is better. It has to be the right dose, which is why I'm telling most guys now, just keep it at two caps, even bigger guys. Because I was taking three myself, and I, I didn't, it wasn't counterproductive, but I didn't feel like it was any more beneficial. So, and I, to tell yeah, you the truth, I feel like too, I actually noticed a little bit more of the libido kick and other things. So me personally, at about 200 pounds, fairly lean, I just take two caps a day. And, and I think, Sincere, are you taking about two caps yeah, a day? Yeah, I, I reduced it. Uh, this this yeah. second time, the second round, I reduced it because, you know, like you and I both said, you know, when July kicked in, you know, we were going to start another round. Um, right. And this time around, I started just kind of seeing, like, okay, it wasn't as – it was, like, the, the last round. So I was like, okay, let me just – let me drop it down a little bit because I had to do that also with, like, the – the multivitamins that I told you about, the pharmaceutical grade multivitamins, like in the beginning, I mean, these things were like crack. I mean, you took like six, just because the way I trained, that's what my naturopath told me. I needed six of them. But, you know, as time, again, I started kind of getting a little immune to it, so I had to drop down to about like two or three. So even with the testosterone, which I dropped down to two, and now I'm starting to see things, even with just a lack of training, I'm starting to see things are kind of picking back up again. Because that was my experiment. I said, let me just actually see what happens now when I don't, train as often as I did before, right? you know, and then cut back on, you know, the dose for a day, you know, each day. So even now, and I'm also seeing my recovery is a lot better now by doing that. And I'm factoring in other stress, stressful factors going on. I mean, we got all kinds of stuff going on here at home with moving and, and furniture and all this other stuff and shopping and all this other madness for the house. So right. I know all that stuff is going to affect training. So, therefore, you know, considering all that, okay, let me cut back on the dose, cut back on the training, also the type of training that I'm doing, and then let me see what I'm getting. And what I'm seeing is the weight is staying exactly the same, but my body fat is still going down. And I'm not training as much as far as as often as I was a couple months ago, you know. So it's, it's, it's been a cool little experiment right there. But 
it's one of those things where if you're not tracking down what you're doing, you'll never really understand what's going on, which right. I think a lot of people get in trouble when they start talking about, hey, man, it's not working for me. Well, what, what's not working? You know, and the cool thing about Mike, usually Mike doesn't really ask. You know, he's just like, oh, okay, well, okay. And because most times people say, well, yeah, it wasn't working for me. I tried for about a month. Yeah, I don't see any difference. So he doesn't, he's not going to, ha- you know, have some like, well, tell me wh- why not? Before I send you a refund, please tell me this, this, and this. Mike doesn't do that. <laughs> you know, but a lot of times, you know, if a lot of these guys, if they were actually really tracking down what they're doing with their training, with their eating, what's going on in their personal life, adding all that stuff, because all that stuff does affect if you're really going to really feel the results. And of course, as Charles did, actually go out and get a test. You know, yeah. go out and test your testosterone, see where your levels are right now, and, and, and factor all that in as well. And then even do what Charles did. And, you know, like you did with the TRT, you know, take, take it, take, wait, wait a while once you finish the dose before you go in and get retested again, just to kind of give yourself a better marker. So if, I, I lo- personally, I love being a human lab rat, okay? It makes <laughs> it all fun. And it also makes any kind of, you know, when people ask you for advice, it makes it just a little bit more credible because you've actually done the work. Well, that's the key right there. Yeah, and then, you know, I, I worked on this product R&D for years. I mean, people in, in the well, – last time I was in the U.K., people were like, oh, yeah, I remember you were talking about this at the Scotland course, and that was 2010. Wow. Wow. And yeah. I was talking about it before then, so it's not like I came up with this formula six months ago and said, okay, let's see what happens with people. Yeah, well, I mean, I've used it. I've used it. I've used it. I've used it. So anyway, but, you know, there's always going to be non-responders to everything. So, I mean, it's not like, it's not like I'm shocked when – you know, 3%, I've, I've sold thousands, I've had thousands of orders, so honestly, 3% is a very low number, and that's just my estimate off the top of my head. It could be a little bit lower or slightly higher, but it's a, it's a low number, and sometimes people don't notice it off the first bottle, and then the second bottle, they really notice it. But sometimes people email me after five days, and they say, I'm not feeling anything. I'm like, well, it's been five days. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not sure what you expected to feel, <laughs> but I mean, some people do feel something the first day. So, I mean, everyone's different. Well, you know, honestly, when, when Sorry, I first ahead. started TRT, I don't think I really noticed anything for, you know, Exactly. And I tell people that, too. I go, even people who take TRT, whether it's testosterone cream or shots, it's not like you notice that the first week or two where you're all of a sudden nope. you're going, wow, look how much stronger I am in the gym and how much better I no. feel. That, that takes a while, too, for your body to metabolize no. and get become no. sensitive to and, and start utilizing. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like you're, when your testosterone goes up, it's like your body has to get used to that new high number for a while before you, it really sure. translates into anything beneficial. So in other words, if I took, if I took my testosterone to 1,000 for the day and then it went back down to what it was before, that's not really long enough for anything useful to happen. I think people forget that our bodies are a lot more intelligent than we are. You know, so so it can pre- it pretty much can start like, hey, red flag, whoa, 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 this dude. No, it's testosterone. like a workout program. All three of us, I'm sure, get this. Like, oh, I, I tried your EDT program, Charles, for two weeks. I haven't noticed anything yet. It's like, well, two weeks. You're just it's a hard program, buddy. You're just you're just adapting to that. But but real quick segue on training, I, Charles. A lot of people don't know about you. But you're a pretty strong guy. I mean, you deadlift over 500 pounds. You've competed yeah, in powerlifting. You yeah, do some about Olympic how old you are first, dude. Yeah, tell everybody how old you are. Oh, thanks. Well, um, <laughs> although I, I can't be calling myself a strong guy after the deadlift video you just put out, my Christ. But, um, <laughs> well, so I'll be 50. Well, those, those, were, those were prop weights. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. No, I'll be 54 in November, and uh, I've actually just dropped like 17 pounds. Um, I'd like to actually tell you about this if, if you're interested. I, yeah, I, did world, I did world championships in Vegas last year. 
Um, I did win. Uh, you know, now, uh, not to make too much of this, like, this is 100% raw powerlifting federation. So you know how powerlifting is. It's not like, you know, if you win worlds in weightlifting, you are the best in the world. Like, but, you know, there's 900 different powerlifting federations. <laughs> right, <So right>. just, <laughs> let's just be honest about, let's be real about this. It's just, yes, I was the best guy of my age and weight that day, so I was 2012 world champion. But, um, but I was 220, and so I would walk around, you know, 217, 216, and I looked all right. But, like, strangely enough, it's funny at my age, I look back and I'm like, I was such an idiot over most of my career, not only professionally but athletically too. I just never, I never really focused on body composition. And it's, I don't know why. Like, I just viewed it as superficial and kind of vain, and I just, I don't, I don't you know, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, last November, I just decided, I was, I was getting friendly. Do you know the name Eric Helms? I don't think I'm so. I'm not familiar yeah, so Eric is a guy, he's, he's pursuing his Ph.D. in nutrition in Auckland, New Zealand right now, and his company is, if I can mention it, is sure. 3D, MJ, 3D Muscle Journey. And I just decided I want to get lean for the first time in my life. Like I just had never really had a physique that I was proud of. And so I just like, you know, I want to, but I don't want to, I don't want to lose strength. <clears throat> and I never, you know, since this is all about self-disclosure, like my typical protein intake for a day was probably, uh, it's embarrassing, but I mean, it was like, I don't know, 120 grams or, you know, 100 grams one day, 130 the next, maybe 80 the next. Like, you know, I just never really focused on nutrition. I, I'm just going to tell you, like I was aware of it. I, I could go out and do a nutrition seminar. I, I was conversant, but I just, for my own personal discipline, I just never really did it. And um, so... But I always had this feeling in the back of my mind, like, you know, T.C. Luama had this statement he made one time. He goes, you know, when I keep my protein at one gram per body weight per day, magical things start happening. And I, I always had that in the back of my mind, and I always suspected in the back of my mind that the same would be true. But anyway, I got Eric to agree to be my nutrition coach, and we started late November. It was about a week before Thanksgiving last year, and I weighed, like, my first day, I think I was 217. And I told him I wanted to do Worlds this year, which is going to be in October, at, at 198. So for the first time in my life, I literally had a spreadsheet, and I'm literally weighing my food and counting every gram. And, you know, I, I typically did kind of a high-fat, low-carb thing most of the time, but um, he had me on kind of low-fat, like, you know, not low, not unhealthy low, but, you know, between 50 and 65 grams a day, whereas I was probably doing like freaking 200 or something. Um, and so uh, my, I brought my protein, my protein 250 grams a day, which is such a chore to eat that much protein. And um, so anyway, long story short, I'm sitting here today. I weigh 197. And a couple of weeks ago, I pulled 510, which was like a 10-pound PR. Like the first time I did 501 for the first time in 2010, I weighed 231. And then I did it in 2012 weighing 217, and two weeks ago I did 510 weighing uh, 198. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, I did a real easy 370 squat two days ago, and I've done 401, but, I mean, I was probably two days ago I could have put up 390. Like, I'm, I'm like, right about there, and bench press is going pretty well. So, um, yeah, so we'll see how it goes. I, I mean, I'm just looking to do better than my best 220 total as a 198 or at Worlds, and that's kind of what I'm – 
looking to do, and it, it looks like it'll be there. And so, but Eric has been amazing, and and um, what kind of, uh, kind of what kind of training regimen are you on? Is it something you designed for yourself, or are you following any template? Uh, uh, completely ADD. I think most people <laughs> are right. Like you know, like here's here's how I do it. Like I I like will listen to somebody talk, like Jim Wendler, or like you know, right. whatever, Mike Mahler. Mm-hmm. Like oh, that fucking makes so much sense. <laughs> and so, and and by the way, I'm all about just being an athlete and a student now. Like, I don't give a shit if anybody thinks I'm an expert or whatever. I just want to get better. And like, you can't do that with your expert hat on. So, so, um, and by the way, I want to also just say, like, Brett Contreras has been huge in my thinking, and he's been my training partner for about 16 months now. Oh, and that's cool. been a, a great, great thing to have. Yeah, but anyway, it's so, like the second week in a row that Brett's come up in a conversation, you know. <laughs> no, Brett, Brett is amazing and very generous, very generous and thoughtful as a training partner. And, you know, there are training partners who are there, and it's just it helps you because there's another person training in the same room. But then there's training partners right. who really think about what you're doing, and they watch what you're doing. And then you get a text the next day like, Charles, I've been really thinking about your squatting, and I think you really ought to get some thoughts X, Y, Z. And <laughs> that's the kind of guy <laughs> Brett is. He's that's really cool. good. Very cool. But, so to answer your question, though, I, I tend to pretty much gravitate towards four days a week where it's upper, lower, upper, lower. So, and, you know, each day starts with a core lift. So it's kind of like Monday is, is high bar squat, followed by lower body assistance drills, which for me are like things like hip thrusts, 45-degree back extensions, you know, maybe some sort of a pulling movement. And then the next day is bench with upper body assistance work. And then the next day is a is is maybe a lighter squat workout and a heavy deadlift uh, session. And then the next day is upper body again. So I mean I can give you more detail if you want, but that's that's kind of the basic pattern. Is it deadlifting and, uh, just deadlifting just once a week? I have vacillated from twice a month to twice a week. Yeah, that's um, what I was, that's here. I've, I've played around with I've played around with infrequency like that as well. At one stage I was doing once every two weeks, and I was feeling pretty good at that, actually. Yeah, right now right now it's once a week. I'm on a nice little roll with deadlifts, but I was traveling a lot last year, so, I mean, basically just out of necessity, I was pretty much deadlifting maybe once every two weeks, and I, and I felt like I was coming in stronger each time, so it was kind of interesting. Well, you know what? The first time I deadlifted um, 500 was in June of 2010, and I did – I had Mark Ripito help me on that. We just did a linear progression, one set of five. I started out with 330 pounds for one set of five, and I trained every other Saturday. And my last workout was 405 for five. And then I went to the meet and pulled 501. Oh, that's great. Okay. Nice. But, but lately, like, I don't know. Oh, I'm, like, sorry, I'm sorry, Charles. Real quick, that 405 for five. Now, was that a repetition max, or was that, is that you just stopped there at five reps? No, that was that was a ball buster, and it was the first time I've wow, done that, five. That's what's interesting to me because that's that's really interesting because at four oh five for five, and that's a maximum set, you can pull a hundred pounds more for one rep. Because I'm more of a repetition guy, meaning that yeah, you know, I, I could probably do four oh five twenty times, and my one rep max right now would probably be maybe five twenty five, something like that. I just I just have like Mark Phillips, yeah. strong. Mark Phillips used to make me all the time because he's like, oh, you know, Mike, you have a fiber type like uh, a lot of the strong girls who come in here. And I was like, well, you know, you know what? what? I'm not you got, that you got some strong girls here, Mark, so I won't take that as an insult. I do so much better at that. Yeah, and that's all. Let me, let me no, I'm not that way at all. I'll tell you something. The biggest double I've ever done is 450, ever. 
And, um, and you know, a while back, um, I'll tell you something. When I was pulling five, I had one day where I hit 405 for 10. Um, and I could not do – like, I, I'm going to – next week I'm going to pull heavy, and I plan to pull four – I plan to pull 515. And I could not pull 405 for 10 if I had to right now. So hmm. I'm not that way. And I, yeah, I, I don't think it's but I think it's more than fiber type too, you know. I think it's just um, there's psychological factors too, and uh, wow. like for me, I was pulling twice a week for a while, but I could I could I could sustain it physically, but I just couldn't gear up mentally to pull. Like I would come in and I was scheduled to yeah. pull, and I had pulled five days ago, and I'm like, oh, this is like just pulling teeth. I really really I just don't want to pull today. I mean, once yeah. a week, once a week is pretty much the most I will. Like you said, it takes. I mean. It, for people that don't deadlift, when you're when you're working on heavy deadlifts, I mean you're you're moving a heavy weight off the ground. It's not like a squat where you can you get a feel for the weight and you sink into it. Bench press, you get a feel for the weight, you lower it, you get that stretch reflex. With the deadlift, I mean it's it's either going to get off the ground or it's not. So I mean it, it takes a lot yeah. out of it. Sometimes I push deadlifts hard. I'm like, you know what? That's it. I'm done for today. It's not no. Yeah, you know what too? Like it's it's so bad <laughs> for me. Like. A couple of weeks ago, I was scheduled to deadlift, and I, I think I was scheduled to hit a 4, 450 single. Uh-huh. And uh, I was so not in the mood to do it. I just didn't even I didn't even want to take warm up. So I just literally put 450 on the bar and just belted up and, and hit it. And I just it's funny, yeah. I was just about to say that. I was about to ask <laughs> yeah. you that. Mike and I've talked about that. Some days yeah. you're like, you know, you have it planned out, and then it's just some days I walk in, like I walk in the gym and I'm just finishing up a class and I just look over there at the bar. I'm like, you know what? Why not? And so <laughs> I, I always have one of my clients. She's always doing all the filming process. I say, here, tape this. This is either going to go extremely awesome or this is going to be really effed up. <laughs> I said, but I do want to have it documented when it happens, either way it goes. Yeah, you, so, you need to get that I pulled 450 and she's like, oh. And, but it was that one time I was like, you know what? I'm going to get while the getting is good. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave on a good note. Okay, so, so I don't know if you guys can relate to this, but there are two, for me, there are two problems with warm-up sets on deadlifts. And I'll just mm-hmm. put this out there in case, in case other people are like, yeah, you know, I experienced that too. The first thing is, like, if I'm going to take 450, I don't even want to know what 4 feels like because it's going to fuck with my brain. And I don't yeah. even want to know. Like, <laughs> like, so if I, if I just take the big weight right off the bat, like, by then it's too late. I'm not going to miss it. I'm, I'm not just out of my own personal pride. I'm going to make the lift. But I don't mm-hmm. want to taste like 405 first because then it's going to, like, kind of give me a taste of what I'm in for and I don't want to know about it. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, and I, I don't mean to say I don't warm up, but um, right. like, like I'll take, I'll tell you what, I'll take a hundred pound jump. So, for example, when I go to shoot for four, when I shoot for five fifteen next week, my last warm up will be four fifteen. Like that's, you know, I don't want anything in between because it's just it's too much. But the other thing is, right. you know, there's sort of at least for me, I'm sort of a dive bomb deadlift person and um i can't get down there and squat down and stay there like you know like you know like the, uh, what's clock the russian weightlifter he sets up for a clean and he's down there for like you're on youtube watching his video and you're just like oh, <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna fast forward this like, yeah. he's down there for like six minutes before he actually oh, yeah. takes the lift that kills me so i think sometimes too many warm-ups i lose my spring like there's a springiness that i depend on for deadlifts right and um you know, if I do too much warm-ups, it, it kind of sucks that out of me, and I'm, I'm dead, you know? So it's kind of a weird thing. I think it also goes with anatomy, because, like, um, you know, I'm pretty sure just going back, just seeing Mike, I know 
both of us have pretty like a long reach. You know, I mean, Mike's advantage is he's a little taller than I am, so I got like these gorilla arms. So I got this long reach, 76 inch reach on a five foot eight body. So to sit down there that long, you know, that low and all that, you know, that's I'm one of those people like I got to do it quick. I got to get up there fast just because I have long arms. So, and, you know, I've had people kind of look like, oh, you're not standing like this, this, and this, but they're not considering, like, dude, my body's, I'm not short and stumpy like you. I don't have the little arms where I can't reach around <laughs> and wipe my butt like you do, yeah, dude. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, have long, I have long arms. So, therefore, I'm not going to be spending all day, you know, I'm not going to have my stance exactly like this, this, and this, just like you do. And, and I think a lot of problems, a lot of coaches are that they get hung up on this way or, the, or no way type situations. You don't consider that everyone's anatomy is going to be different. So, you you should see it as a challenge as a coach, like, okay, how am I going to make this work for this dude? I said, this dude's got a 76-inch reach. He's 5'8". How can we make this, you know, help him with his deadlift? You know, so let's, let's kind of focus on speed right here. And fortunately for me, most of my power comes from my legs. So the faster I can get up, the better it's going to be. If I got to sit there yeah. and do a slow pull, dude, I'm going to end up looking like that old SNL skit where the arms are coming yeah. out of the sockets yeah. and blood's yeah. going everywhere. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so... Yeah, so it's, it, I, and I'm just like you. I I feel better when I have that big jump because just doing yeah. more and more warm ups in between. Um, it just by the time I get to that number, I'm like I'm done mentally. I'm yeah. done, and I can already start to feel it like in my arms and my shoulders. I'm like, good lord, it's just, it's it's a lot. <laughs> no, you guys bring up some good points. You guys bring up some good points because just for that clip I filmed for YouTube the other day, pulling five plates for a double. Yeah. I remember my, my warm-ups were 135 for three, 225 three, 315 three, 365 three, 405 three, and then mm-hmm. 455 two. And by the time I got up to 455 two, 455 felt heavier than it normally does. You know, I can bang mm-hmm. that out six, yeah. seven times. But that day, I was like, wow, that 455 felt a little heavy for two. Yeah. And, then mm-hmm. I, and then I was debating whether I should even go to five plates yep. that day. See, that's the And then I was like, you know what, screw it. Screw it, because I want to know where I'm at right now, and I want to put up a and the and I want to have a film too, because I'm yeah. not gonna. If someone's there filming it, I'm not gonna screw up. Even though it's not live, it's still being filmed, and I was like, I don't, right. I don't want I don't want to have a crappy lift on tape, so I want I want no, to be able to put this exactly. up on Facebook. But you know what? Just like you said, Charles, because I think if I went from 405 to 495, that would have been better, because like you said. 455 is close enough to 495 that I got a little taste, and I was like, oh, boy, if that felt heavy, imagine what five plates is going to yeah, feel Exactly. Like. And you know what's funny? Yeah, yeah. I, really, I psyched myself up for five plates. That actually felt lighter than 455 did. That's the funniest thing. So, I mean, so it's You know what? And the, here's, the, here's the difference psychologically between a squat and a deadlift, okay? On a squat, the motivation is intrinsic because you don't want to get pinned. And so even, you know, because you're motivated by just your personal safety. So you can always depend on that being there for you. And, right. you know, okay, if you're in a squat rack with pins, okay, you're not going to die, but, like, it still sucks. Like, you know, so. It looks kind of cool as Jim. Everyone turns over and goes, look at that guy. He just crashed on the squat rack. Yeah. So, but with a deadlift, with a deadlift, you don't have those kind of consequences. So I always say, like, on a deadlift, when you, when you walk up to a big deadlift, there's always a big part of you that wants no part of it. Um, <laughs> so so always. So on, true. On, on your best yeah. day, there's a big part of you that wants no part of it. So what, <laughs> you gotta, you got to make the part of you that wants it more. you got to want it more than you don't want it. And if right. you can't rev yourself up to really want that thing, that's, that's the thing. It, it really is more a test of your psychological readiness because um, – 
you know, nothing's going to happen if you miss it, really. You know, it's just, it sucks. So you really, it, it really is a different animal psychologically. No, it's so, it, it is so much. And sometimes to, to get myself into that state, I, I just think of someone I really dislike, right? Just think about something that makes me angry and that puts me into this really fired up state. And it, and it works really well. Is that why you stomp like that, Mike? Are you stomping them out like that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the I mean, that's, that's something I picked the, up from Mike years ago, man. I used to do this. Yeah, the, the stomp does help, but sometimes that can be distracting, too, meaning <laughs> that you just wasted a lot of energy stomping, right? Because Peter Rouse, my yeah. friend, told me, like, try doing the stomp before the deadlift, fires up your nervous system. It's like, okay, well, that's probably true, but my nervous system is already fired up from all the warm-up sets I just did. So I don't need to waste any, yeah, I don't need to waste any energy trying to stop imaginary ants on the ground. <laughs> let, me just post, let me just save that for the lift. But uh, I find that just thinking about something that just gets you very angry. The funny thing about it is, though, is like right afterwards, you're even more amped up, right, because you just pulled off yep. the lift. And now, and now you're looking at people at the gym like a psychopath, and you have to kind of tone your energy down because – you're looking, you feel like you want to tear someone's head off for no reason. Like, look at that little dipshit over there. Look at Roy Rage over there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, I mean, but that's a cool, but, that, but it only works for, like, a really heavy set. Like, I'm talking maybe a, a, a maximum rep for one or two. If you're trying to do, like, a 10-rep max, it's a waste of energy. Like, for example, no, like, 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 yeah, because you have, you have to endure that. You know, 10 reps means you have to pace it. You know, if, you try, if you try to blow everything out of the gate, it's, you're not going to get the rep 10. Just, right. just like just like with kettlebell sport, like what Sincere does. I mean, you don't go into a 10-minute set angry. You have to be mm-hmm. calm, relaxed, you know, because you're going to be there for 10 minutes. You can't get through it quickly. Yeah. But it's, you, you know, know just funny, the, about the, the psychological factor. Oh, yeah, um, like the psychological, psychological factor. Like, one thing about it, when you pick it up on the bar for deadlift, okay, like you said, if it's not working out, you just put it down and you walk away. And for some reason, like the after effect, he's just like, oh, you know what? Today wasn't a good day. I'll come back and do it again. But on the flip side of that, it's something about being in that squat rack, and when the squat goes bad and you're that dude that, you know, it crashes down the squat rack or whatever, the <laughs> psychological after effects of that, it screws with you because you're thinking, like, the next time, yeah. like, shit. You know, the next yeah. time you try that again, you're like, well, the last time I did this, I made an ass of myself, and I pretty much lost it and fell in the squat <laughs> rack. And that screws right. you. It screws with you for a long time, so... That's, maybe that's one of the reasons why the I love deadlift. Even the bench press could be like that. You take it off the pins, and you, you, yeah. can't even, you can't even look. I mean, I've never had. To, I mean, I'm very disciplined with the bench press, so I generally I don't I don't I don't miss lifts with the bench press because I know whether it's there or not. But back in the day when I was much younger, you would be a little bit more overzealous, exactly. and you're 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 you get a lift off, and as you're low, as you're lowering it, you know there's no way you're gonna press it, and then you realize you can't even lower it under control, and boom. <laughs> <laughs> right on your chest like a ton of friends. And then <laughs> you're flailing like a wet fish out of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, yeah, I think I'll leave that alone. What's funny is when people bench press. There's nothing funnier during watching young guys bench press. It seems that it seems that all the mistakes that all of us make with too much focus on bench press and poor technique just keeps getting passed down from one generation to the next. I know, man. Because, I mean, bench press technique at the gym I go to, it's horrible. And it's always one guy, one guy with his hands on the bar – and he's basically just doing bent over rows the whole time. The other guy thinks he's yeah, yeah. You know what's funny, though? That, that, can, that, can, that can cut both ways. It's kind of funny because my bench press I would put in the suck category. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> if, I'm squatting, look, if I'm squatting four and pulling over five, you'd expect me to be benching three. Right. And, you know, if, I, if I'm lucky on a good day, I might hit 265, which is miserable. But 
the reason it's 265, if I'm being honest, I just don't really care. Like I just, right, right. I, I should care as a power lifter. I should care, but it, now I can't say this because I just put a video on my Facebook today of me bench pressing. But there's almost <laughs> no videos of me bench pressing on on Facebook because I just I just don't care. And even you know I just even if it's three, I just for some reason I just don't really care. Right. And the only the only reason I'm, the only way I'm going to bench three if I if I start really caring about it. And, That's um, true. And, the, true. and the reason I the reason I have a good pull is I care about it. Exactly, exactly. No, I'm the same way. I mean, bench press like like a lot of young guys used to be in my cornerstone lift, where I was always focused on how to increase that. And I'm a pretty good bench presser. I just started getting back into it recently, but I, I don't I don't value it as much as I used to just because you just know so much better now. Like, I, to me, the deadlift is the money lift. Squat, that's the money lift. Yeah. I, like, I like focusing on the money lift. So those are the ones I always do first. If it's deadlift day, that's what comes first. If it's squat day, yeah. that's what comes first. Bench press, overhead press is afterwards. And I, I actually like overhead pressing more than bench pressing, although I'm a way better bench presser than I am an overhead presser. It's not even close. So I've, real, I've realized recently, you know what, let's try focusing on some lifts you're actually good at for a while just to see how far you can take it. So I'm really focused on, I'm a pretty good deadlifter and I'm a pretty good bench presser. So if I put some real concerted effort into both, let's see what happens with this. So that's yeah, kind of like, sure. that's kind of what I'm doing with that right now. Squat to me, I'm not a good squatter, so I need, I need to put some work into that just to, just for balance purposes. But it's, it, I, I actually like barbell squats. I like the feel of it. I like the way you feel afterwards. I like the benefits, how it makes your legs bigger, your whole body structure feels better. So I actually like the lift. It's just not one I'm great at, but I want to get good at it. And I think that's an important factor right there is you're not going to get good at something if you don't care about it. You're just, you're just not going to prioritize it. You know, one of the things I think that's really fun about all that, like going back to those things that we're not great at and just, you know, incorporating them again, is the fact that you know, a lot of people who left their egos going to get away with this. But the fun is kind of just starting from, from this baseline, from scratch, and just like starting, pretty much like starting over, You're letting go of anything. Like, you know, you always have the one guy like, yeah, I was squatting, you know, 415, you know, or 500 when I was in high school. But this dude's like 45. Like, dude, are you serious? I don't even want to hear about <laughs> high school anymore. So right. the cool thing is, like, you know, I throw that right out of the window. I don't even care what I squatted when I was 18. I'm like, dude, I'm 41. I could care less what happened at 18. <laughs> so, there is there is nothing about 18 that I actually want to go back to in my life right now, <laughs> at all. Okay, so and that even goes with the lifting. So I could care less. So the fun is like seeing because now at 41 I'm smarter than I was at 18, especially with my lifting. And, and I I know when certain things like I ah, I can walk away from that today. Today is not a good day to do this. So it's not so much about like having a bunch of other 18 year olds around you, you know, like pumping you up like come on man you can't get that da 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 da. I'd rather have some older smarter guys around me like all right man. Hey, not today, but, you know, another day. And I do mean another day because we're going to hold you accountable to that. So it's just way different now. So, like I said, the fun is, like, actually starting from scratch and seeing where you are with those things that, you, you know, you're not that great at now. And now you can probably figure yeah. out why you weren't so great at them and why you kind of left them alone and didn't give them as much priority in the beginning. Yeah. Charles, what are, what are some of the other exercises you're doing that you feel assist the deadlift, things that are helping you improve your deadlift? Um, you know, Honestly, um, I can't believe I'm saying. Well, I, I can believe I'm saying this, but I, you took me back a year ago. I couldn't believe I'm saying it. But but the barbell hip thrust is just such a great movement. Um, and this is this is the movement that Brett Contreras is. Um, 
I don't know if he would say he invented it, but, you know, people have been doing hip bridges and things, but, you know, the actual barbell hip thrust where you sit down, you put a barbell across your lap, and you, mm-hmm. you raise your hips, you know. Right. Um, and, boy, that is just such a great posterior chain movement. And, um, and uh, like, I've built my – it's funny, over 13 workouts, I remember my first workout – I remember when I first saw it, and – I kind of had the same kind of disdain that I have when I see a woman doing like a tricep kickback. I'm like, you got it. <laughs> right. But so, but, and it seemed like a weird, like, I don't know. For some reason, I was just really cautious the first time I did it. And I had Brett there the whole time. I think I did like 95 pounds for a couple of sets of 10, you know, my first workout. And I actually worked up to, um, I think I singled a 650 on that. Like I'm actually, what Brett says, he, he says I'm like one of the five strongest hip thrust people he's, he's seen anywhere. Like, um, I, I, I'm, I'm almost, I think I might even be a little stronger than Brett is on that. I've done like, I mean, I could do four or five for 10 any day of the week. And, and it really, um, it really, you have, do you have very, a clip of this? you have a clip of this exercise on your Facebook? Yeah, it's on, it's on somewhere on my Facebook or on my YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. I'll take um, a look. I, I know I've done like, I know I've done 500 for five anyway. Um, I don't know. It's, but it really, it really helps with such a, a such a targeted glute movement. And the nice thing too, you know, sometimes sometimes it's not. Were we talking earlier in business about it's not what you make, it's not it's what you keep. You know, part part of a good exercise is an exercise that just doesn't require a lot of resources. So you don't have the psychological angst about is this going to pin me or like you know like you don't have to do warm up sets for it. I mean, you do when you're first learning it, but once you've been doing it for a while. I mean, my first warm-up on a hip thrust is 405. Like, I'll do 405, then I'll go right to 500. So it takes such little time. It's, it's perfectly safe. You're never going to hurt yourself doing it. it you know, and it's just um, it's so, something that is so quick and requires so little of you, and it's so, you don't even need equipment. Like, you just need a bar right. with plates on it. And I just think that is one of the um, really unsung kind of exercises out there. I think Brett still takes flack about it from some hardcore people out there like oh what do you you know come on but no that's been a really good movement for me and and really really heavy back extensions like i mean like okay i'm maybe it's not really heavy for some, but like i'm 54 i'm using like 135 pound dumbbells for sets of 10 like i think it's pretty heavy yeah um, so that helps a lot and you yeah, know uh, like, i'm doing a glute ham raises and i, I use this sorinex poor man glute ham machine, which is way harder okay. than what you, it's, it's oh, the equivalent great, of doing great. glute hams off the floor. Great. And I find, I find that glute ham machine is incredible. I mean, nothing targets the glutes and hamstrings more directly than that thing does. Just doing negative, yeah, but doing a concentric rep. Yeah, again. it's huge. It's huge. I really like band assisted pulls a lot. Um, I, Brett talked me into doing that. I, I didn't think, I, I'm, I'm very strong on the lockout, so you know, right. typically you would do band-assisted pulls, a band-resisted pulls. If you had a lockout issue, I can lock out anything. I mean, I've pulled, I think I've pulled 750 from the knees. Like, I, I, have, oh, I can right. lock out anything. But, but, you know, the beauty of a band-resisted pull is, is it, you recover really quickly from it. You can work really hard. It doesn't take anything out of you. And so I like that. What about, what about chains? Charles, have you ever tried chains on a deadlift? I have. I haven't used them recently. Uh, I don't really have an opinion about it. I think it's probably yeah. fine, you know. Um, yeah, but, but I, I just bought some recently, so I'm gonna I'm gonna play around with that. For I'm gonna try chains on a trap bar. I think I'm gonna start doing trap bars, just lightweight, lighter weights with chains, 
more for speed, just acceleration, yeah. and then stick the barbell for the heavy work once a week. Yeah, I tend to use the trap, you know. I like to use the trap bars for the speed aspect of it because it really helps me with kettlebell sport. It really helped me to really pop my hips, especially like on, you know, on, on clean and jerks and just really getting that, that pop. So that's the reason why I incorporate the traps in there. But, yeah, man, it's kind of a, getting something to think about throwing the chains on there because I usually like having the chains like on, on the barbell squat, you know, just really have to, So sometimes I feel like I need to really work on my core stability again, something right. that transfers over to kettlebell sport as well. So that's why I kind of throw that in there, just kind of mix it up a little bit. So, yeah, something to think about with the trap bar, though, Mike. Yeah. I'm so analytical that I really resisted the idea of doing bands and chains for a while. So, like, I'm so – this is I just throw these things out there in case anyone else is out there like, shit, I do that too, you know. You can really get in your own <laughs> – yeah. I, I don't like shit that I can't measure, you know. So right, I just, right. Like, if yeah. I don't know exactly what I'm lifting, like, it pisses me off, and I'm, I'm just too – like, you know, like, I'm one of those people in the gym, like, I'll, before I take a heavy pull, I want the bar squared off to the platform just right, and I want all the plates snug, and I don't want anybody in my way. And, right. You know, and it's funny because Brett is the exact opposite. Like, he doesn't give a shit. Like, he doesn't care anything. Like, if somebody five foot two, he's six five, right? So if somebody five foot two is doing squats on the rack, and he goes to use the, you know, like, he won't reset it. He'll just squat. He'll just duck under it. And he just doesn't. One time, one time, one time he and I were sharing a squat bar and I had wrist wraps that I was using. I had the wrist wraps just draped over the bar and he goes to, it was 225 on the bar or whatever. He goes over to take the bar to squat and he doesn't even take my wrist wraps off the bar. <laughs> you know, like nothing it pays, he just does not. You know, like, if the, if, the, if he's going to deadlift and the bar is, like, 45 degrees, like, to the platform, he'll just take it where it is. Like, it doesn't matter to him at all. And so, some, you know, and I just realized, you know, that's a good thing to not need everything to be perfect, like, to have some mm-hmm. psychological flexibility. And so you want to have a routine. You want to have kind of a, a, a you know, kind of a, a ritual that you do. I think those things are important for athletes, but... You need to be okay breaking that ritual once in a while, and I think it's really helpful for right. lifters to kind of do things outside your comfort zone. Sometimes if you always wear a belt, don't wear a belt, or if you always yeah. lift, use chalk, don't, or sometimes take bigger jumps on your warm-ups than you're used to. Or, you know, if some guy is standing three feet directly in front of you when you're about to do a squat, like don't ask him to move out of the way. Just do it. <laughs> just man up and just, you know, I think sometimes those are good challenges. I, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. What about the belt, Charles? Have you? Well, what is? I, I'm actually probably going to start wearing a belt for some of my heavier lifts. I haven't, for often. I haven't. I have all this time. I haven't worn a belt, even on maximum lifts. How much of a difference have you found a belt makes for, let's oh, say, a one me, rep for max? Me it's, for me, it's absurdly crazy. Really? Like I get so much out of a belt. Like it puts at least 50 pounds on my squat. Really? Really? At least. Yeah. yeah I can't. I can't wait to try a belt for deadlifting because of. I mean, I if I can, if to I can... Know, you want to know it's funny, okay? So, and by the way, I, I will sometimes make myself do lifts without a belt. Right. And, um, like, I think that's important. Like, I, I pulled 450 with no warm-up, no belt, no nothing, street clothes, thrown in my pocket, like, just my wristwatch <laughs> is on. So, and it was hard, but, you know, you need to do those things sometimes. But, but you know, I, I, I went through this period where I, I didn't, I don't know what happened. I didn't have my belt. So I went to, like, Sports Authority, and I just bought, like, a, like a Velcro. Like, it, it wasn't a Vallejo, but it was kind of like that type of a belt. Right. And I, I go to do, like, a heavy deadlift, and I literally just snapped it. I just 
the belt just disintegrated on me. I just like, <laughs> I think I think I have really strong check I think I have really strong abs in that respect. I'm not saying I have strong abs in every respect, but yeah. I really know that I really can produce a lot of pressure. So not even kidding you, I just figured it was an anomaly. So I took the belt back, returned it, got another one, broke that too. First first workout broke it. So, so now I'm using one of these like lever belts, but um uh, you know, I went for a while, I went through this period, somebody inspired me to sort of toughen up, and so I'm like, you know, I'm going to squat without a belt for a while, and you know what happened? It, it, it reduces the loads I can use so much that I end up under-training my legs, like it just hurts me so much, hmm. and I just decided, ah, I'm just going to, I'm going to go back to the belt, you know, because I can just overload myself so much better, but I mean, I know people that don't really get that much out of it, so... Yeah, I'll be curious to see what I get out of it. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of a curve just getting used to it. But I'm, I'm going to start next, – next time I go super heavy on deadlifts, I'm going to wear a belt and see what difference it makes. People say that it makes your abs weaker, but, I, like, here's the analogy I use. If you're in the middle of a big room and you have, like, a 400-pound box sitting on the floor and you need to get down on the floor and push the box across the floor, right. you know, you're going to leg press the box. You're going to – what's going to happen is – you have nothing to wedge yourself in between, like you know what I mean. You have no leverage, so you can't push. Right, right. Just, but if you could get if you could get that box about three feet away from a wall, and you, if you could kind of wedge yourself in between the wall and the box, now you have something to push against, and you're stronger. You can exert more force, and that's kind of how I, at least for me, that's what a belt feels like. Hmm. Since Jerry, you've used a belt with kettlebell lifting. Yeah. How, yeah. What, what, how, it, how, actually, how does that? How does my, that yeah, I've seen my, you know, I've seen like my reps go up since I started using the belt, especially like in long cycle. You definitely want, you know, some people say, no, no, don't use a belt for long cycle. But then they end up complaining why they have these stab wounds in their stomach from their elbows all the time. <laughs> you know, they don't understand it. They're like, dude, is anybody else bruising like that? I'm like, no, I don't have those problems. Plus the whole bruising thing wouldn't have that problem either. I wouldn't even notice it. <laughs> they look like birthmarks on me. So anyway, but yeah, man, it's really helped a lot. But it's made me actually, by putting a belt on, and just because that conventional thing that makes your abs weak, it actually makes me focus on my, on my abdominals and my core and everything in general in that area a lot more. Just, A, because my ego says I just want to prove them wrong, but again, also because I have something in that area to remind me. There is something around my lower back and my stomach happening at that time that makes me have to focus attention to that area. It's yeah, kind of like when true. I'm teaching people how to look at push-ups differently and actually focus on their back, using their lats to do push-ups and actually treat it more of a pulling motion as they go down. Right. A lot of times if you tell them that, they don't get it. So what I do is I'll thump them. I'll thump them a couple times right between the shoulder blades. So I said, well, I said one thing about humans, we love to focus on pain. Okay, so now you feel that sting in between your shoulder blades. As you pull down, now you're realizing how to use the pulling motion and use your lats on the, pulling, on the portion going down on the push-up. So, like I said, we like to focus on those things like that. So by me having some kind of apparatus around me like that, it, it brings my attention to it. So if I have my attention to it, then, of course, I'm going to make sure I'm braced up and, right. and taking care of that area. And, I, and what ends up happening, I get to lift more now. Instead of, so instead of just trying to let Sincere, my arms you, and my legs do all the work. Sincere, do you do kettlebell sports? Yeah. Holy crap, that is crazy. I'm actually cracking up right now because I just went to your Facebook and I, I see that Bill Murray King King picture. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> best movie at all time. But anyway, like, you know, one time I actually I was getting, I was developing a little bit of interest in that. And I, like, mm -hmm. I talked to Pavel. I'm like, what do you think about like me doing like kettlebell sport? And he's like, uh, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> he goes, I'm like, what are you talking about? You're like the kettlebell. He goes, no, you can't like, you can't run your business and do that. Like, it's like, he just, 
he just basically put the fear of God in me. He goes, this is like, you don't even want to mess with it. It's so horrible. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, and, 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 you know, I don't know what his reasons may have been for that. You know, of course I can, I can estimate, I can guess or whatever else, but it just really, my thing is if anyone is good at business, you know, and really understand what they're doing, they can make a business out of it. So, I mean, I've, I've coached and taught plenty of people with kettlebell sport, but at the same time, I didn't base my entire business around kettlebell sport. Yeah. Just well, like no, I don't I think, think anyone should just what, base their entire business and think that it's going to continue to grow if they just base it yeah, around yeah, yeah. training kettlebells only. So, no, so I, think, I, think what he was trying to, I think what he was trying to say is it would just take so much out of me that I just would not be able to cope with the rest of my I life. I disagree. <laughs> I disagree that's, that's with that. That's kind of what he meant. Yeah. <laughs> my, my thing is smart. I mean, I mean, dude, you do powerlifting. So, you know, would he tell yeah, you not yeah. to be powerless? And you can't tell me it doesn't take a lot out of yeah. you, you yeah, know, or yeah. strongman training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, so it yeah, just yeah. really depends on how you approach the training. Because the thing is, yeah, if you, you're not going to sit there and just go do money, 10-minute money sets every day. You know, I wouldn't, but neither would you try to go for your heaviest lift every day sure, with death sure. right. no, You know, no, it's no, all about smart training. So it's just so, it's laughable when people say they're like, oh, I don't know how you do that. Well, I'm like, dude. <laughs> Look, any other any sport. I mean, whether you're Tyson Gay, yeah. you know, in, in track and field, the dude that's his that's what he does. And most of you looking at like, it. I suspect he was just trying to warn me. Uh, you know, uh, you know, he, he probably assumed I didn't have adequate respect for how hard it was, and I assume that's where he was going. And I also assume he was probably a little bit tongue in cheek when he said it. But uh, yeah, the uh, number one thing is if you are going to start it, always find a good coach. I always find a good coach and somebody that's done the work and, you you know, their stuff is out there. They're not just some dude talking crap on Facebook about how great they are, but you've never seen them once have one video clip up on the platform or something they're showing from like five years ago when they competed. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I, think, I think the key also is you have to be, and I think it goes with anything, but it's especially that it, it's such a different style of training yeah. than most people are used to. And you really, you really have to leave your ego at the door in a big way and start way lighter than you think you should. I remember – Ken Blackburn, who's a super strong guy, a really athletic, strong guy, he told me when he first started training for kettlebell sport, he used a 26-pound kettlebell. And that's only used for a long time, just to get used to those 10-minute sets, just to get used to good technique. And, and this is a guy who can do over 50 military presses with two 70-pound kettlebells. Yeah, he's strong. So he's, yeah, he's a super strong guy. But when he first started doing the kettlebell sport, his strength got in the way of it, and he realized, you know what, I need to go super light, really get the technique dialed in. And I don't think he started competing with 70-pound kettlebells until a long time after that started. Yeah, yeah, he started with, you know, the chair press, you know. Right. You know, he didn't even start doing long cycle or anything like that with, you know, two, you know, 70-pound kettlebells. So, again, it's got to be very smart. I mean, one of the great examples I can use in the sport is um, there's a guy named Jerry Gray. Jerry's now 72 years old. Now, yeah. Jerry's he's the ideal person I think of when I think about training smart for kettlebell sport. But Jerry does other things as well. He does other types of training as well. But the beautiful thing about Jerry is like, okay, when I first started competing, Jerry's probably, I think, about 60, 68, 67 or whatever. I mean, this dude has like, he's had heart issues even before he got into kettlebell sport. Mm-hmm. The day I, the first time I ever competed at the, at the Arnold in 2009, I was a few platforms down from Jerry. Jerry finished his 10-minute set, and he had a couple, he was doing a long cycle with um, two 16-kilogram bells, which are 35 pounds each. So it's 70 pounds of weight there. So he's doing clean and jerks with those for 10 minutes. Okay, mm-hmm. he, I think he placed first in his category. Probably by the time he got, by the time he finished, probably about five or 10 minutes later, he had a, a cardiac arrest. Okay, now... Wow. 
to somebody looking on the outside, they're thinking like, oh, kettlebells did that to him. Well, he already had this condition. Yeah. Now, here's the cool thing about Jerry. This happened on a Saturday. Jerry was pretty much out of the hospital, I think, that Monday, and he was training again on that Tuesday. And his doctor <laughs> said if this guy was not doing kettlebell sport, he probably should have died years ago because of his heart, wow. just the way his heart wow. was. Kettlebell sport has actually saved this guy and made his heart stronger and be able wow. to be more resilient against heart disease that he already had. And, sure. I mean, we even trained here in the Texas Heat a couple of years ago, and during the lunch break, we were training with, like, these world champion Russians. We took a lunch break, and we went to, like, Subway or whatever, and Jerry walked around to this grocery store. He said, yeah, I'll be right back. Well, Jerry never came back. This dude was so cool and under pressure. I, I think he was having, like, a mild heart attack, so he went and got some aspirin. <laughs> and, I think, and he checked himself to the hospital, and we come to find out, we get a call from him. He's like, you know, yeah, he's at the hospital, and they made, they made him stay overnight. And he was pissed because he wanted to come back and finish the workshop up that oh Sunday. My God. Oh, <laughs> so my God. So that's just how resilient this guy is. So, again, wow. it's the way he trains. Now he's getting stronger and stronger. This dude's now doing long cycle with the 24s, but he's smart. He's not, I'm not trying to, like, go out for master sport or anything like that. He's very smart sure. with his training, and he's getting better and better. So it's not even about the age factor. It's getting smart training, smart coaching. So that's yeah, what he's he with anything. Super smart anything. guy. Yeah, very smart guy, very uh, – dedicated guy too, really interesting guy to be around. So, I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's a really cool story. And, and, there's, and there's a lot of stories like that of people whose cardiovascular abilities are incredible after doing kettlebell sport. Like a good friend of ours, Andrew Derniat, who competes in strongman, after he got really good at kettlebell sport, he found that he could just outlast everybody else, meaning yeah. he would lose the first couple of competitions. But by the end of the day, everyone else is dying, and he's just taken over, and he would end up winning these competitions. He's a super strong guy, too. I mean, he deadlifts 600, squats 500, and no, strong guy, but he found that the kettlebell sport just gave him such incredible work capacity that he was able to, he's not as strong as everyone else competing, but he can outlast all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say if you had anything uh, you wanted to plug, anything you're working on, because I, I know you have other things to do. We don't want to have, we don't want to keep you on here all day. <laughs> oh no worries, fun conversation. No, I was just, I was actually just kind of ruminating that you know people don't even realize that endurance really plays a role in powerlifting, and that would be the last thing you would right. do. But, yeah. You know, those are nine, those are nine, ten, eleven hour days sometimes, and it, right. it's not cardiovascular endurance per se, but you know, I mean, there's still, it's a long freaking day and you've got to manage your energy well. And so, and the mental toughness uh, aspect of it. Yeah. Just keeping your that's mind what people it. don't realize about teaching workshops, right? People have never yep. done it before. They'll watch guys like me and sincere. It's like, Oh, those guys, six, eight hours up there throwing around heavy bells, talking and so forth. And looks like a lot of fun and, and, and it is fun, but mm-hmm. you have to be conditioned for it. And then people try to do a workshop and you know, they're, they're, two, they're two hours in the course. They got four more to go. They're, they're dying. People are watching them go, what's wrong with the instructor? And it's like, look, man, if you've, if you've never taught a six to eight hour hands-on kettlebell course before, don't start with six hours. You know, right? Start, start with a two hour class or three, you know, work your way up to that because it's going to be a long day. If you don't know what you're in store, for. it's a long day anyway. But if, but if you're, if you're not used to it, it's going to be a real long day. And also, it's kind of funny to watch these, these young, not, not always young, but just overly enthusiastic instructors who think, okay, I'm going to lift the heaviest kettlebells for every single move during the day. <laughs> it's like, first of all, half the time the people watching you don't even know how heavy the bell is that you're lifting. That's true. So, so they exactly. think, they're not even impressed because they don't even know what it is. And second of all, they're not coming to watch you work out. 
they're coming to learn <laughs> you know how to do these things themselves so i mean yeah it's cool to pick up a heavy bell here and there just for fun impress people a little bit just for your own fun but i mean that's that's not going to make the course better or worse and that that's a, that's another classic mistake a lot of people make is they feel that that they need to just come out of the gate and be overly impressive from start to finish and sure. they miss they miss the whole point of why people are coming there in the first place which is for their benefit to learn proper instruction and so forth yeah and another thing about that you also got to you know pay attention to your audience like it's just something I learned just from the music industry and DJing. It's just like you got to see what y'all look at how they're behaving and right. let that dictate what you're doing. Like some of these guys want to do these four, six, eight-hour workshops, no breaks whatsoever because they just want to get all their information in and all that. But you can start kind of seeing where the audience is kind of just like they're wearing away. They're kind of like in La La Land, and you know, you just they just kind of give me this wide-eyed look, like, huh, what? I didn't get it. So you got to know exactly yeah. when to like give them some breaks in between, give them a five-minute break here and there. And another thing what a lot of guys don't know about, like when Mike and I are teaching workshops, we're doing these things for like eight hours or so, and we're doing it pretty much with no food. You know, yep, we've done yep. this enough. Like one, Mike and I talk about this. The last thing I want to do yeah. is have a big breakfast before a workshop. Look, yep. dude, I, I'll, I'll have my, my water. I'll have my bread, chain amino acids. I'm going to have a yep. little coffee first thing in the morning. And, and I'm good because I have so much energy just from just the anticipation of the workshop itself. And right. to sit there and put anything on top of that anxiety or whatever would just, dude, it would just drain me. So the key is the key is to have a, a good dinner the night the before. night before. Yeah, yeah that's that's important. If you have a crappy dinner, sometimes I'm overseas, you get in late and you, there's nothing open. So I mean, you're eating this crappy dinner right before you go to bed and have to wake up and teach the yeah. next day. Yeah. You feel that the next day. You're like, oh man, that that that's that's when experience kicks in and you, you're just pushing your way through with mental toughness because yeah. you're jet lagged. You just had a crappy meal, but yeah, like sincere said, though, if you get that dinner in right and then I, w- I want to be light on my feet. I want, I don't want to have a bunch of food trying to digest while I'm demonstrating physical exercise. Uh, six, eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or Turkish, you don't, you don't want to have Mexican food that morning and you're demonstrating the Turkish stand-up or dragon flags. Like, like, I, like whenever I teach dragon, whenever I teach dragon flags, which is my favorite core exercise, right? Dragon flag. And I'm pretty good at those. So people are always impressed by that one. So I always like to teach that at the courses. But I mean, there have been times where I'm going, I'm, I'm just about to demo the first rep and you have this fear in your head that you're just going to rip one out <laughs> you know, because you're like, you know what? I don't know how good an idea this is right now because I, I, I really have to focus on keeping these abs nice and tense because otherwise it's going to be a little embarrassing coming out there. But so I always tell people, uh, don't, don't try to do dragon flags after eating Mexican or Indian food. You're going to lose that battle. I think that's going to be the take-home point for the whole podcast. <laughs> I think. Uh, Charles, real, real quick, Charles, what is, I, mean, you know, I know you said you're pretty big on a lot of core work. What are some of the core drills you like to do that you have found has been beneficial for the rest of your training? No, you know what? I mean, I I don't know what I've said in the past, but I mean, I don't really, I don't know, man. Like I like I do heavy, you know. I don't do things that are thought of as core work. I don't think. I mean, I you know I do all the big multi joint stuff, and right. You know, I think. Um, I mean, I think Brett Brett has gotten me doing heavy swings, and I think that that's been useful and just you know. Um, but like you know, I don't know. I don't do dragon. I, I want to learn how to do a dragon flag just for shock value, but. Um, you know, I don't really do planks or, you know, any form of sit-up or, or, you know, I don't do, you know, I don't know. I just, 
I just do my lifts. And um, right. I don't, I don't think the core has been really an issue for me right now in powerlifting. So, I mean, even if I squat, even if I do a max squat, I mean, my hips don't come up faster than the shoulders. Um, right. I never, I never lose my lumbar position, no matter how heavy I'm pulling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always neutral. So those are the things I tend to really be looking at. And who knows? You, you just never know. In hindsight, sometimes you're a little wiser, but maybe I should be doing more. But yeah, I'm not really doing, you know, not doing anything that looks like core work. Let's just <laughs> say that. Yeah, I hear you. Moment. I hear you. I think people. I think some people got too distracted by the word core, and all of a sudden they had a whole workout, several workouts just doing core, and they just overdid it. I think. I think some good moves, such as standing ab wheel rollouts, hanging leg raises. Yeah. Drag, yeah. Dragon flag's my favorite. I like Turkish get-up and, and windmills with kettlebells, renegade rows. I look at that as a core drill, too. But what I find is when I do deadlifts, I mean, I really feel it in the core. I feel yeah. like I'm, sometimes yeah. it feels like a core lift, like I'm pulling the bar up with my core. So I think, I think you know things what? like dragon yeah. flags and, and, and standing ab wheel rollouts in particular will really carry over nicely. But I think you make a good point, too, that if, if you're hitting those big moves correctly, then you're, of course, engaging your core. Like Franco Colombo always said that you know, they did, he, didn't, he never did any extra work for core. He would just contract his midsection hard when he bench pressed, when he yeah. did overhead presses, when he deadlifted, when he squatted. And obviously his core was super strong. Right. Well, you know, here's how I personally tend to think of these things. Like, as soon as I hear you think about, like, I've not thought about doing rollouts for months. And as soon as I hear you say it, you know, this thing goes off my brain, huh? You know? <laughs> yeah. So we all do this, right? And so the problem is, are rollouts good? Yes, of course they're good. Are, are get-ups good? Sure. You know, are swings good? Sure. But the problem is you only have so many resources. You know? Right. And by right. that, I mean t- time, energy, yes. equipment, right. skill, um, you know, all those things. So. That's the, you know, R.D. Dressler wrote a book called The Weightlifting Encyclopedia, and he made a great analogy uh, of periodization being kind of like packing a suitcase for a trip. You know, you don't want to have any redundancy, and you want to just, you know, you have a triage situation going on, you know. So what do you really need? Like, you'd love to take a million things, but you can only fit so much in there. So what is really necessary? And I think that really is a a great way to kind of keep yourself on task and, and to be focused. And right. so it's so like, you know, like, like both you guys are smart and I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm like, believe me, when I, when I hang up the phone, I'm going to be thinking about some of the stuff you guys said and it, it will tempt me to alter my training probably. And we're all like this, right? Every time you see an article or you see a video or you have a conversation with somebody, right. you're always like, huh, you know, it's always like that, huh, you know, but you gotta really be. You gotta really think twice and three times before you make a change. You know because. Um, no doubt. You know you, you you need to be open-minded and flexible, but at the same time you need to have some sort of an anchor. You know you need a template that you kind of stay on, and then, but your template needs to be flexible enough, where you know you can implement some changes if if need be. So. Now, for most for most people, they should probably be taking stuff out, not adding more stuff back in. Exactly. Because most yeah, people I mean, tend to. Honestly, for me, usually, usually when I start slowing down my progress, it's when I start trying to add more things to it. Like I'm going, wow, this is working so well. I wonder what would happen if I added this in. What if I added a few more workouts in this week? And maybe I'll start sprinting again soon. Maybe I'll start sprinting again as well on the same day I do this. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> progress starts being derailed because sometimes, sometimes even when you've been doing this for a long time, you're thinking, man, this is all I'm doing. 
huh, I wonder if I wonder yeah. if I would get better results if I did more. And then you realize, yeah, this is why you're getting good results because you're streamlining this thing, you're minimalizing it, focusing on yeah, the priority I'm move. Such a, I'm such a um, the one thing that I always come back to, and you know, I play around with different things and I go through my phases just like everyone else. But I really, the one principle that I think is really just bedrock for me is just the idea of economy and you know okay, yes, I could do rollouts, but what's the cost of that, you know? Right, right, um, right. You know, there's benefits to freaking everything, you know, but, like, what, what has the most positive transfer? And, and those, that's, what, that's where coaching goes from science to, to, to an art, you know, and there's right. both. But, um, no, that's a good really, point. Yeah. That's a good point. What if you did dragon flags hard the day before a deadlift day, and now your, yeah. your midsection's all sore and you're tired there, and that's obviously going to have a negative effect on your deadlifts. I mean, you, you bring yeah. up a lot of good points. It's like when you start adding things in, you have to go, okay, what, what's the cost, what's the benefit versus negative ratio here? And is it in my favor? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the art of being a good coach. And one, you know, one reason I like powerlifting and I always joke with Brett about this, but you know, if you call yourself a good coach, you should be able to make somebody a good, a better powerlifter. You know, right. How simple, right. How, you can't get much simpler. I mean, it, all, you, all you're trying to do is improve your maximum strength on three different lifts, and that's yep. kind of all there is to it. Right. And uh, I have a hard time doing that with myself. Now, okay, in my defense, I'm in my mid-50s and blah, 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 but, like, nonetheless, you can't call yourself a master strength coach if you can't make somebody a better powerlifter. That should be the freaking simplest thing there is. Right. No, it, is, it doesn't I mean, get more functional and, and, and a good assessment for – your overall strength and your deadlift. What can you bend over and pick off the ground safely? And you know, what can you lie down and press? What can you put on your back and squats? I mean, that's a good. It reminds me of a program that Marty Gallagher wrote about in his book, Purposely. God, I love his work. Yeah. I freaking yeah. love Marty's work. You know what? Yeah, he's a great I, guy. He brought I, a, he brought a lot of. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I mean, I. It just reminds me now. I freaking loaned that book to somebody. The purposely primitive, I think. It's, yeah. And I, yeah. And I don't know where that book is, but boy, that's <laughs> such a good book. Such a good book. That is one of those books where it just really makes you think, you know. Now, he had a lot of cool stuff in there. I remember. He, I remember he he was inspired by he he rips on the Biggest Loser, which is in, in a hilarious way. He's a funny writer. And oh, then I didn't he, even he know just, that. Yeah, he decided to do an experiment. I think it was twelve weeks where he had maybe seven or eight clients. He put them on a powerlifting regimen. All they did was bench press, squat, and deadlift, and then they just walked a couple miles several times a week. Right? That was basically their cardio meditation. These, all of these people lost a ton of fat. They all got a lot stronger, and they all looked way better. And he's like, so he's like look, I mean, this is, this, is where, this is what will work for the average person because a lot of people will try to overcomplicate stuff and say, oh, powerlifting is – that's for elite people. That's not for everyday people. And he proved that – completely wrong because I mean it's if wow. when, it, when you when you think about it it makes more sense for the average person and I don't mean having to you don't have to pull a one red max in any of these lifts no 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 you don't have to go to a competition either you just focus on those no. three lifts whatever the rep range yeah. is you decide but those three lifts sure you can do more and maybe adding bent over rows or pull-ups and things like that would help and add to it but sometimes just focusing on keeping it really simple three lifts three times a week couple days walking, and that was it. And these people got great results on that. You yeah, know, I think, reason, I, think I remember reason, him standing um, in T Nation, I think, on an interview. He was comparing the biggest loser to like a Nazi death camp. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, it's, um, the, the one way that powerlifting will never lead you astray is that you, you're doing big lifts. You are training big muscles. 
Right. And, I mean, I was, I was just talking to a female client this morning, and, you know, females have this notion of, like, well, I have fat on my arms, so I'm going to do curls. And, you know, right. It's like, no, you know, the way, the way you're going to raise your metabolic rate is to train big muscles. And, you know, the best way to, to take fat off your arms is to train your ass, you know I mean? No, it's so true. Uh, it's, it's, and, and it's just one of those things that's counterintuitive. If, if, you were not, if you were not educated in what we do, that would never occur to you. No, you're, you're not looking at the hormonal effects of exercise. You're not looking at the big picture. And then women always want to know what's going to help their glutes, hamstrings, legs. It's like squats and deadlifts. If, if that's yeah. all you ever did, and then maybe you went yeah. sprinting. If you, want to, if you want to be really make this really exciting, go sprinting too. All right, so mm-hmm. sprinting, squats, and deadlifts, you're going to have a great set of legs. Strong, they're going to look good. You know, change your diet so you in, increase the body fat loss, et cetera. You don't really need to do a whole lot else to have a really good, strong yeah. pair of legs. Yeah, I tell them, I, said, I always look at, the, look at the sprinters in the Olympics and look at those ladies. I said, how many of those women have saggy asses, baggy hips, you know, and flappy arms? <laughs> Things like that. So it gives them a visual. I'm like, okay, look at them and then look at some people you see doing long endurance running who don't do those big lifts that we're talking about. So you have to ask yourself, which body is a little bit more what you're looking for here? So I'm like, don't see, think about it. Doesn't, it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who you are as a coach, though. It doesn't matter how famous you are. It doesn't matter how many. If you're standing with a woman in front of you, really a large part of their brain is just like he doesn't get it. Like he's, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know? yeah, so true. And, and you know what? I, the thing is most of my clients have always been women. Like 98% of my clients in this past decade were women. And, you know, it's just so funny. Like, well, wow, how do you, you actually get it? My last trainer didn't get it. Well, you know, I grew up around this because I grew up in a house full of women. So I've heard, I, I've heard what you're dealing with because I've heard it pretty much all my life. And it's actually one of the things that drove me to doing this. And, but, you know, most of you are saying like, or you always have the one that first calls you. Yeah. You know what? I'm just trying to do this. this but I know you don't understand because, you know, it's not like you've had a baby before. <laughs> like, trust me, if I had a baby, you wouldn't be talking to me right now. I'd be so paid right now in some, some freak show or something like that. But, yeah, trust me, I, I, I do get it. <laughs> being a man who's actually like, you know, uh, kind of helped create a few babies in my life. So I get it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. What can you do? Well, Charles, we know appreciate you spending so much time with us. We know you've got other things to do. Do you, do you have anything you'd like to plug? I know you mentioned the website at the beginning. You want to mention uh, that again? And, yeah. Yeah. yeah just so, any, anything okay. else you have coming up? Yeah, so, you know, anybody interested in training, I'm in Scottsdale, Arizona, so that's, that's first base. And then uh, you can hit me up on Facebook. You can hit me up on Twitter. I'm easy to find in both those cases. Um, and then, so the website is targetfocusfitness.com, and um, that's kind of my personal blog site at this point, and I've got a bunch of posts up there, and we'll be releasing products and stuff at some point down the pike, but... Uh, that's probably the easiest way to, uh, to figure out what I'm doing. I write on TMAG all the time, tnationtestosterone.net, um, which most people listening in will be aware of that. And, uh, yeah, that's about all I can think of. you have any courses or anything like that coming up? No, um, nothing really. No seminars. Uh, on the, I, I, might be, I might be in Salt Lake City in November, but that's still to be arranged. Um, so that's a possibility. But, uh, no, it's just, uh, just kind of... Uh, just working on the blog and doing some writing and training clients and, you know, that sort of stuff. So. Well, it's great. I mean, it's great to talk to you. And thanks, thanks so much for the honesty as well with everything and, yeah. and sharing so much of your personal life. I know that's not always easy to do, but I think people really appreciate getting to know a real person. And, and I think uh, 
I think it's, it's a lot of credit to you for that. I think you're going to get quite a few positive responses for that. Oh, well, you know, if, if, if at least others can learn from my mistakes, then... <laughs> Honestly, I think I think we learn more from our own mistakes as well as others' mistakes than any successes. I mean, my my whole live life aggressively is basically about things that went wrong and how you move forward after that. So I think I think a lot of people will pick up some good stuff from that. Cool. Well, Well, guys, it was uh, it was great to great to chat today. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Appreciate. Thanks again. Thanks again, Charles. Would love to have you back on again sometime too. Oh, let's do it for sure. Sounds good. You take care. Thanks, guys. Okay, take care. Thanks again. And that's top strength coach Charles Staley at Target Fitness Training. Target Focus. Target Focus Training. Thank you. Yeah, TargetFocusFitness.com. There it is. Or TargetFocus Fitness. So we're both correct. I'm thinking of Tim Larkin's website, so that kind of just threw me off because it's, it's similar to his. But, uh, yeah, he's got a lot of great information. I mean, his, he has articles all over the web, though, bodybuilding.com, T-Nation. He probably, has, he probably has enough articles on T-Nation to put together a couple books, and it's all free. Yeah. So, I mean, so for those of you that are looking to pick up some good training info, and go, pick up, go check out his work. If you're not familiar with him, you're in for a treat because he has a lot of really good material. And uh, he gave me a lot of food for thought today, too, just yeah, with this call. And it, it's always great when we have guests that are also willing to reveal so much about their personal life because – I think it's important for people to realize that we're all real people. Sometimes you, you hear a couple of guys on a show and you know, they're joking around, they're having a good time, and it sounds like everything's going so well for them. Well, we, we, we're just, we have problems like anyone else does. It's not like everything goes right for us. And, hell, I'm flying out to Holland tonight. There's a good chance that something will go wrong with that. Right? You know, there's a good chance I'll be sitting next to a serial farter again, like my last trip. Yeah. <laughs> okay, right? or, or someone does not believe in the power of deodorant. <laughs> good thing about Holland. Good thing about Holland is certain uh, post-workshop recovery methods are legal there. They're not legal uh, here. So just for the sake, just for the sake of science, um, I might have to test drive some of those things. So yeah, you, personal, might have to, you, you might have to try out the Ricky Williams um, training technique. <laughs> not for not for personal pleasure purposes, folks. Just 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 to share that knowledge with you. Next week's podcast, I can share that the pros and cons of that next next week. <laughs> But uh, also on the music front, man, I've been listening to a, a Five Finger Death Punch's new album. Oh, man, I love fucking, those dudes. Fucking love awesome, those. man. Yeah. Badass album, man. So if you, yeah. if you guys are looking for some good workout music and you like intense intense rock, heavy metal-ish type music, you'll definitely like that. Really good stuff. How about yourself? What, what do you have going on? Dude, that, you know, and speaking of just like good concerts and good music, man, just this past week, um, last week before the show, I went to um, see Living Color Live, man. Oh, wow. And, and actually, they're going to be in Vegas in October, Mike. So really? There you go. I'm definitely There's, going. I'm definitely yeah, going. They're, going to, they're, they're in um, Europe right now because Houston was the last city in, in the U.S. before they head to Europe. But they're coming back in the fall, and I know they're going to do Vegas in October. And I was trying to debate, like, okay, do I go out there and say, hey, Mike, let's go to the show, or do I do it now? So, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to catch them now. And it was, man, those guys still have it. Vernon Reed, in my opinion, one of the top five best guitarist of all time yeah, I mean he still has it I mean I was trying to like send you some clips over from the show or whatever but the files are still too big on my phone so but man they, like I said these guys have not lost it I actually seems to me like they've gotten even better since the first time I even heard Vivid and that's what they're doing they're kind of celebrating the 25 year anniversary of the Vivid album that came out in 88 um, but man and you know that a show is going to be good when you do the, so- the song where everybody pretty much associates you with 
as the second song of the show. Because for most people, that's brave. You know, that would, I mean, so they came out, the second song was Cult of Personality. So anyone just come, you know, probably just jumped on the bandwagon from watching like WWE and seeing CM Punk come out to that song. <laughs> and it, that's what they think of, you know, color, you know, living color. They were probably thinking like, okay, that's the only song I know. Now what? You know, and we're just now 10 minutes into the concert. So, but those, no, they're awesome. they yeah, killed it. Killed it. Two hours straight, nonstop performance, man. I mean, just really, they just murdered it up there. Yeah, and it just felt good. That's cool, man. That. And I think any artist out there now, or just anybody that's even in any business for any amount of time should go and see this and show like, okay, how do you keep going? How do you keep persevering when things are changing? Right. And, you know, it's good to see artists like that to kind of show you that, man. But, um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, but speaking, other than of, that, uh, speaking of a blast from the past like that, Cypress Hill this past weekend. Yeah, they were just in Houston two weeks ago. They're, they're awesome. Ago, man. They seen, I've seen them live twice. This past time was was the best I've seen with them out of the out of the two times. <laughs> but anyway, uh, they opened up for three one one. Not a huge fan of them. They're okay. They're pretty cool live, but not a huge. I wouldn't go just to see them. They have a certain audience that truly loves them. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, they sure do, and it's a, and it, and it's a much different audience. Three eleven concert, man. Oh yeah, three eleven is like. Uh, let's just put it this way: they, these guys look like they came right out of the office to go check out the show. <laughs> but anyway, Cypress Hill, much different audience, really grooving crowd. And they did about an 80-minute set, and they were badass. I'm not even that big of a fan of their music, you know, just sitting around listening to stuff. But live, they are badass, man. They're really good. And then the weekend before that, Hollywood Undead with Escape the Fate, both of those guys, awesome, awesome bands, man. That's one of my favorite things to do in Las Vegas, really anywhere, is live. Just go to see a good band, live music. Because people always ask me that. They're like, oh, you must gamble a lot and go to the shows. I'm like, okay, I play blackjack every once in a while, so I wouldn't say it's a lot, but I do play every once in a while. As for going to shows, I've been to a lot of the shows out of here. They're not all, some of them are pretty good. Most of them are not that great. I'm, I don't, maybe I'm just jaded. I don't know, but I'm not overly yeah, impressed. The ones that are pretty good, you've, you've seen them. And yeah, you know, exactly. You know, it's like, that's one thing that sucks about going to Vegas with my wife, who, was, who went to Vegas a lot of times way before we got married. Right. So there's shows I hadn't seen. She's like, yeah, saw that one. Yeah, saw that one. Yeah. Okay, we can go see this one again because it was pretty good. And so, and pretty much anything Cirque du Soleil, she's seen it all. And for me, most of the shows out there, those are pretty much some of the best ones. Everything else is kind of like, ah. Right. right. <laughs> you know, but the man. good thing about Vegas, and I know Houston's the same way, is that pretty much any band who tours is going to come through Vegas. So right. There's so many opportunities to see concerts out here. I mean, there have been times where we're going to a concert every weekend five, six weekends in a row to the point where, you know, after a while, you, you don't even, you, I mean, it's still fun, but you're like, wow, I feel like this is a job now going to a concert, <laughs> you know? So, but I mean, but I mean, and you can do it VIP style in Vegas too. You can get a nice table over the stage. It's not as expensive as people would think. A lot of the venues where even big bands like Lincoln Park play are relatively small compared to elsewhere. So, I mean, the, the concert experience in Vegas, honestly, is the best that I've ever experienced. Having grown up in Washington, D.C., I lived in L.A., but right. Vegas, by far, is the best concert experiences that I've had out of all the years I've gone to concerts. So if you like live music, if you like different kinds of stuff, Vegas is great for that. Things like going to clubs, waiting in line like an idiot to get into a further and get all excited about a DJ, that's not my thing. Okay, I'm not yeah, going to do that thing, at all. Uh, especially somebody I'm not going to wait. Right there at waiting in line, you've already lost me at that part. Yeah, you know, somebody that was, you know, in that world, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I, even when I did, I used to sit there and think, like, these people are so freaking excited about the records I'm playing. You're getting excited about the wrong thing. You know, how about I get excited about the artists that I'm playing? The, the guy that actually made the music. I'm just a guy that's putting some stuff together right now. 
Okay, so, you know, of course, you know, there's an art to that because sometimes people just slam stuff together and say, like, oh, I'm a DJ. Sure. Like, no, you're not. You're a glorified <laughs> music player. You know, That's you're no true. different than my iPod right now. It makes better <laughs> for some random than you do. <laughs> you know, speaking, so, of, speaking of iPods, have you, ever, have you ever looked at all of the songs you have on your iPhone and wondered how this even get there? I mean, I, I was deleting a bunch of songs the other day. I was like, why do I have an Uncle, Cra- Uncle Cracker song on my phone? <laughs> you know? what, wow. what, why is a Darius Rucker song in my iPhone? <laughs> you know? You're just like... Is this who Darius Rucker or is this country music Darius Rucker? <laughs> I mean, did, did Kim Blackburn steal my phone and pull a prank here? Put all of his... <laughs> Stink it with his computer or something? What happened here? <laughs> well, if you're, hey, if your playlist is named Gotcha, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite gotcha lift when I'm training this. <laughs> speaking of living color, I, I I do believe that Kent said one of his favorite songs by them is uh, everyone, everyone loves you when you're by. That's it. <laughs> you already knew that one was coming. <laughs> oh, it's so funny when they did that song. I actually just remembered the time that you kind of like <laughs> when you ranked on Ken about that song. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. They did it. All I can think about was you and Ken going back and forth. <laughs> and so I had a lot of giggles going on to myself while that's what I was playing. Yeah, everyone, everyone, like, like, why is that guy laughing over there in the corner? Yeah, no, it's not funny. <laughs> you, know, you know what's funny, though, now is, is how many bands that are still around when you and I were basically teenagers going to college. Yeah. And how many of them have resurfaced and mm-hmm. kind of had a, like a 2.0 stage in their career? Where yeah. they, they they no longer have record label support, but they just produce everything on their own. They book their own gigs. The whole they look shebang. so much happier now. They perform yeah, so much better it, it, because it, they don't have that stress. Exactly. And their audience is bigger than these new kids. Let me tell you what was so cool about the Little Color concert. You had about four generations of people in the audience. You had people who brought their kids. I mean, these kids probably were like eight years old. You know, <laughs> at the show, and these kids were just like banging out. Man, it was it was freaking cool to see that because it made me think about probably about say six seven years ago i took my middle son to see metallica when they came to houston yeah and that was his first concert you know this is his first concert he was probably about 10 years old at that time so i mean to me i think that was probably and he still talks about that experience to this day so it was like a father it was like it wasn't my daughter it wasn't my wife at that time no it was just it was the boys i said right. look and when i was your age i wanted to come to this show and i couldn't i said so I'm going to go to the show, and I'm going to take you with me, so you'll never have to have that discussion. So, so when, really I, when I was their age, I'm getting stuck going to Kenny Loggins' concert, so that's quite <laughs> an upgrade. <laughs> Something nice and PG rated right there. At, at the Montana Country Fair, Kenny Loggins. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's still so hard for me to even just picture you living in Montana. I'm just, it just doesn't even fit. <laughs> every, every summer, from as early as I can remember, I was stuck in a camper with my parents, and my brother until he was old enough to go to college in Montana. And man, I remember, I remember I, I purposely went to summer school one summer just to avoid going into the camper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another time I was like, I'm going to get a job anywhere. I don't care. I'll, I'll work at the deli shop on my floors because man, being stuck in a camper. And I don't mean like some luxurious camper you see the rock stars in. I mean something that's not much bigger than a van with your parents for three months every year. Actually, for six weeks. It felt like a year. Six weeks. That's not fun. <laughs> in fact, you know what's funny? Whenever I'm in a situation where I'm oh like, God, this sucks, man, this problem I'm dealing with, I'll always think in the back of my head, oh, well, 
could be worse. It could be back on one of your parents' camping trips right now. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I think that I'm, sure I'm, flying, have, I'm, flying, yeah. I'm flying overseas. I missed the plane. It's like, yeah, this sucks. You know what, though? It could be worse. Like, it could be in Montana. And I'm not knocking <laughs> Montana. I like Montana as a state. It's a beautiful place. It's just, and, I, and I, I'd love to go back there now and visit and, you know, even teach a course there, et cetera. But not with my parents in a camper. You know, in a camper, saying. no. Montana's <laughs> not lame. Being in your being in a camper with your parents anywhere is whether it's Las Vegas, <laughs> Houston, Montana. You oh, know, dude, it's, it's funny that you say that. <laughs> it's funny that you just brought that up because uh, last night. Uh, so here's a, here's a good movie. Here's a good movie recommendation for everyone. Go check out We're the Millers with Jennifer Aniston, Jason Sudeikis, and um, oh really? That's good. And, huh? and Emma and um, Emma Roberts. Dude, that movie is so freaking hilarious. And I mean, so basically you have um, just to give a short synopsis of the movie without giving it away because you've probably seen this in the commercials. So basically, um, Jason Sinakis is pretty much a, a weed dealer. He's a drug dealer. So basically, he gets robbed, and then he, um, his boss pretty much tells him, like, the only way he's going to pay it back, he needs to go do a, you know, go to Mexico and bring some drugs back. Okay, so, but basically, this dude needs to, like, he needs to find a way to get across the border without being busted. So he wants to look like this stereotypical, just like, you know, Ned Flanders looking family, you know, so therefore they won't cause any suspicion when they go, you know, cross border patrol. So he right. recruits like Jennifer Anson, who's like his, ne- his neighbor. She's a stripper. Then there's Emma Roberts, who's like this little homeless hipster kid. And then um, this other kid that lives down the street, he's kind of like this dude. That's, he's a straight up geek. He hadn't had any ass in his life. <laughs> so, so basically they, they pretty much go over there to get the drugs and bring it back. So that's the premise of the story. But they get in this RV or whatever and, they kind of run into that family that you just talked about, that, you, that experience that you had. So they kind of ran into them along the way, man. But all I got to say is I have not pretty much – it's kind of like how the, hang, the first Hangover was, how funny it was. Really? That's pretty much where this movie is. It's one of those situations where I, I pray to God that they do not make a part two. <laughs> you know, because it's know. just that funny. I don't want them to screw this up and think yeah, they, 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 they really, they really, they really ruined the Hangover, didn't they? Oh my the, God! I, I haven't even seen the third one. I refuse to. But yeah, I refuse to say because I'm still, I'm still a little tank. Dude, I'm still disturbed from the second one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that movie sucked. It wasn't was even okay. Way too much late boy action going on in that second. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, they're ruining any chances I will ever go to like Brazil, man. After stuff like that. <laughs> I'll tell you a movie I saw. I've seen it twice in the theater, actually. It's a fun movie to see on a big screen, especially in IMAX, Pacific Rim. That, that is I'm starting to hear good stuff about that movie, man. It's a good movie, man. It's a fun movie. I mean, it's, it's, I mean at a superficial level, yeah, it's big robots fighting Godzilla, all right? But, but it, it's a Because fun. the commercial sucks for it. I mean, it doesn't tell you enough because it makes no, it look no, like it what you said. It makes it look like big robots. No, no. They've made yeah. that movie before. It's called Transformers. <laughs> no, this is and it's it's way better than any of those Transformers movies. It's yeah. way better than any of that stuff. It's, it's actually a real story there. It, you know, it's not a masterpiece movie, all right? It's not the next right. Heat or Godfather or something, but it's a it's a fun movie, especially on the big screen. Story is pretty cool. The fight scenes are great because they they don't go on for thirty minutes where you just get bored. Yeah. And each one is meaningful. In other words, it's not just okay. Here's fight one: robots versus. Godzilla. Ten seconds later, here's another one. Twenty seconds later, here's another one. And then it's, it's not like that. It's, each one is meaningful. So that that's a fun movie to especially see in the theater. 3D on the IMAX. That's worth yeah. checking out. It won't be anywhere near as much fun just watching it on a big screen at home. Nice man. So yeah, catch that one during the matinee, of course. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> 
movie prices are ridiculous right now. Yeah, they are. And I don't, I don't believe in paying for movies. So my strategy for that is I, I have an American Express card that I use for old business expenses. <laughs> and I have a lot yeah. of expenses on that card. So what happens is I yeah. get points Point. that I can trade in for coupons, which often are movie coupons, like right. gift, gift cards at clothing stores, uh, iTunes, dialogues, you know, things that yeah. everyday little expenditures. I mean, so if you run a business, you should have some kind of merchant account, some kind of corporate card where you have some kind of point system. Yeah, stop using your personal you, bank account for your expenses, people. Yeah, stop I'm telling you. Stop it. Yeah, I, I haven't paid for a movie, and I can't remember the last time I paid for a movie. Maybe overseas sometime, but in the U.S., I never pay for movies. And let's be honest, most movies suck too. So yeah. you, you, you at least feel a little bit better knowing that you just use a coupon instead of and, and trust me, those of you like, well, Mike, I don't have American Express. Okay, here's something you can do. Here's the poor man's way of seeing a movie for free. Okay, sign up for Groupon. Think in the back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, no, go pay for one and then watch about four. So therefore, you kind of get your money. Yeah. <laughs> so, this is what you do. Go and sign up for Groupon and Living Social or one of those daily deal sites. And when they have, like, your local theater, when it has a group, Groupon or whatever, go ahead and pay for it. But then send it out to your friends you know, because they're going to pay for whatever. Let them buy the Groupon and what will end up happening. You'll end up getting it for free. You'll get a credit. So if you want to take the poor man's route right there, you send it out to three friends and all three of them, you know, buy the, the deal, which is like $5 for a movie and, a, and you get a drink. Most people are not going to pass that up. So guess what? Now you just – what will end up happening, they'll give you yours for free. So there, there's a bootleg way of doing it without actually, like, stealing movies and staying in the movie theater all day and watching four or five. Because <laughs> <laughs> eventually they're going to catch you. Okay, so. Yeah, and you're going to feel real silly when they do it. Oh, exactly. <laughs> really, dude, you got busted for, like, what, going to see another movie for free? Stealing movies? <laughs> you're going to steal them, go download them if you're going to actually steal them. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> not, not, not that I'm, you know, advocating that or anything. Yeah, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> but, you know. If you want to watch a movie for promotional use only just to see if you would actually like it and pay for it, then that's another thing. <laughs> well, well, we'll see. We'll see what kind of movies I end up watching on a flying out to the UK via Holland tonight. So it's, it's cool. It's a cool. It's a 9.30 p.m. flight, so I can get a little work done, watch a movie or two, and then get into my natural sleep cycle and hopefully uh, get a couple Zs in and feel good tomorrow. But anyway, I get to catch up on all the crappy movies I've missed. <laughs> you know what's funny? When you're on a plane, your standards for entertainment goes down probably about 70%. Yeah. But, but it doesn't go down so low that garbage like the Jersey Shore is still watchable. I'd rather, I'd rather sit there and stare at the back of the chair in front of me for the two hours than watch a crappy <laughs> show like that. You know? <laughs> I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather just, I don't know, walk around the plane for an hour stretching, you know, right? Yeah, you know. <laughs> then do that. But what's funny is that you get to catch up on a lot of stuff. You realize, one, I don't miss having TV because I'm not missing out on anything. And two, it's funny how even though your standards are so much lower, they're not that low where you yeah. can tolerate most of the garbage that's on planes. But sometimes it's, it's kind of amazing what you end up watching. Like you were saying, I think it was – Step it up. Step yeah, step it up. <laughs> I was laughing because I watched I'm like, it too. I'm, I'm laughing just, with you. I'm like, they I made three of them? <laughs> I'm going to watch it. I'm like, this movie's not half bad. You know, I'm, on the plane. I'm like, this well, is a nice little message behind this. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to break up and start doing some dancing right here. It's great. 
I'm no, going to jump right here in the middle of the aisle. You know? Yeah, we're going to have to start doing a kettlebell now. Like a whole bunch of us just start doing kettlebell snatches in the middle of the mall. <laughs> so, okay, so obviously you saw it too. <laughs> you just oh, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't deny that I've seen it now. But, I mean, this is what I'm saying, folks. If you travel a lot and you're stuck in these long flights, you'll be surprised what you end up watching. But you'll also be pleasantly surprised what you don't end up watching because some stuff is so bad. You're like, you know what? I don't care if my mom is playing for the next eight hours. I'm not going to watch this just for – <laughs> just for my self dignity here, I can't. I can't get into this. this is too bad. <laughs> just those brain cells I'm going to need, for, you know, for the workshop I'm doing. I don't want to lose <laughs> to this movie. <laughs> there are better, there are more recreational things I can lose brain cells to that are a lot better than watching this. Okay. So I'll tell you what. Also, I mean, if uh, one of the, I probably shouldn't even share this with too many people because I don't want everyone to start doing it. But Economy Plus, which is not a whole lot more expensive than Economy, if you book way ahead of time. Yeah, it is is worth doing, man. I'm telling you, if you fly a lot, that economy plus, which is basically the equivalent of, of it's, it's, it's first like class, first class purgatory. Yeah, it's, it's like first class within the United States, right? So it's not it's not as good as first class going overseas, but you don't need it to be that good. You know, I'm not going to pay four thousand dollars so I can lie down on a plane. All right, that's unnecessary. I'll, I'll keep that money for that room, though for about another yeah. twenty dollars yeah. more. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, it, it, and if you be patient when you're booking your ticket, even for economy, they'll give you the option to upgrade to economy plus, and it's usually like twenty or thirty bucks more. I do it you know, every single wait. time. Every single time that they give me that option, I do it. Like when I flew out exactly. to teach with you in Houston, same thing. I checked in. They're like, hey, sir, for another twenty bucks, you don't even have to finish the pitch. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> my card is already out. <laughs> yeah, I, I am in. You know, anytime they say you want to upgrade, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I'm telling you. Getting to the front of the plane as much as possible, the air quality is better and you get off sooner. And having extra leg room, whether it's the emergency exit or economy plus, yep. it makes a huge difference, man. Especially yeah, on a 10-hour flight. Moment. You know, I've never, like, Sir, I've are, never, you sure? are you comfortable with emergency? I'm like, yes. I'm comfortable <laughs> more ways than you, than you believe. You know what's funny is when they ask you, like, oh, we, just want to know, we just want to make sure you're capable of opening the door in case of an emergency. And I'm like, you know what, lady? If I'm not, we're all in trouble. <laughs> because I can promise you one thing. If I can't open that door, no one on this plane, none of the exactly. other jackals on this plane are going to open it. I was like, if anyone else on this plane can open that door, I should be able to rip it off with my teeth. Okay? <laughs> Don't worry about me. <laughs> but like, it's always funny when they ask. It has it on there. It's like 40 pounds. I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. The kind of people that are I was like, really? You trust her to be there at the window? This lady's like 80 pounds. Could, could, he, could even put her overhead over the top end. And oh, my gosh. Just like, hey, can you help me? I'm like, oh, if you, if, do you want to trade that seat? <laughs> so let's yeah. make a deal. I'll take that seat, and I'll help put that luggage overhead. Like, yeah, I'll help you, but there's, there's cost with that help. It's so amazing. <laughs> so I put, like, my luggage overhead and, like, just tossed it up there. And I, I had one guy next to me. He's like, and this dude's probably, like, 6'5", probably, like, 250. You know, and I just tossed it up there. He goes, oh, wow, that's impressive. I'm like, really? You yeah, that's I threw a bag. It's a carry-on bag, first I threw of all. a bag, and it, that's, that's how low our standards are for strength and conditioning now. It's like, if you can throw your bag in the overhead compartment, wow, that's impressive. That's a feat of, that's a, that's a feat of strength. Oh, my God, put this dude in a carnival, why don't you? Carry your own suitcase down, the, down in the airport. People are like, oh, my God, I can't believe that guy's not using a cart. I'm like, this is called farmer's carry. So I'm the go, okay? Yes, yeah, <laughs> like, like, I do farmer's carry. Like, what's the point of work, all this working out, and it doesn't carry yeah. over to something like that? It's like, you damn right I can throw my overhead bag in the compartment. What do you think? Or what do you think me overhead pressing double 88-pound kettlebells is for? So I can't do that? 
Oh, man, it's hilarious. So, so I know you're heading out to Holland right now. So by the time everyone hears this call, I'm mean, here this podcast, you'll already be there enjoying yourself. But what do you got coming up next, man? Well, I, I, actually, real quick, I want to plug our next show because I'm super excited about that. I'll, I'll oh. actually be back on Tuesday. We're going to record next Wednesday. And we have Robert Greene, author of 48 Laws of Power, 50 Mastery. Of, yeah, uh, Artist Deduction, Mastery, and. 50 of Law. <laughs> yep, 50th law. Yeah, what's the other one? Forty. Uh, there's one about war, 33 laws of war or something like that. Yeah. mentioned that one. But anyway, anyway, 48 Laws of Power is an awesome book. I mean, so many interesting things there. And what's interesting, I can't wait to talk to him about how if you read 48 Laws of Power or, or listen to it on audible.com, you really get the impression that people that are really powerful are all about deception and screwing people over. <laughs> you know, that's. That's the impression you get when you read that book. So I'd really love to hear Robert's take on that and how do we apply some of these things without becoming some kind of Machiavellian type scumbag. I don't want to be that kind of person. But there's a lot to learn in there about other kind of manipulation techniques that people may be trying to use on you. So it's worth reading just for that purpose. Right. And the 50th Law with 50 Cent, incredible book. I've read it twice already. I've listened to it. I'm going to be listening to those books the whole way to Holland tonight and then on the way back just to take a lot of good notes for right. the interview next week so that one's going to be folks if you're not familiar with his work you're going to want to check it out and if you're on the if you're if you're on the fence wait till you hear that interview you'll be raring to go to go buy those books it's yeah, really good and i mean you're talking about like uh, the 40 laws of power i mean you've had guys heavily influenced by what they read in that book people like sean puffy combs right. jay-z you know, of course, like 50, you see these guys, yeah, yeah you know, you made them, like, I'm not trying to be a hip-hop artist, but no, these guys are not just hip-hop artists, they're businessmen, and they help transcend from being just a hip-hop artist working for someone else to being these powerful businessmen. I mean, dude, I just sat there and saw last night on the news, Jay-Z, like, gave all his employees $50,000 bonuses just because, because wow. they've been doing a great job. Okay, so, it, it, I mean, it's to the point where when they got their check and they saw that, they actually, like, called him to make sure he didn't mess up and say, hey, there's an extra zero on this. He's like, no, that's just because you're doing a good job. <laughs> okay, so that's the position he's put himself into, and some of that stuff came from reading 48 Laws of Power, man. So right. that right there already takes, you know, the, the surface value of what you read in that book, like, oh, this is all about manipulation. Okay, here's a good thing about that. That's some positive enforcement for loyalty right there when right. you get that. So there's a, that's a type of manipulation, but it's not necessarily manipulation for for bad, okay, right. or right. bad. So there's some good that comes from that, some greatness that comes from that. So, you know, I mean, showing appreciation, but even when you show appreciation, and at the end of the day, people can talk that noise, but when you do something good, you are, you're not just doing good for whoever you're doing good for. You're getting something out of it, and you're doing it for yourself. Well, right. guess what? That's a form of manipulation, too, but it's a good form of manipulation. Very true. <laughs> Very I true, mean, just like sculpting, that's a form of manipulation. You're manipulating clay to turn into this great piece of art. So look at it that way. Don't look at it in such a negative way. No, we can, we can say, yeah, every workout we do, we're manipulating our body to lift a certain weight or make you it know, look a certain way. We're coaching our clients. We're manipulating. We're trying to manipulate their mindset, you know, so they can be far, far better than what they're, where they are right now. Hey, when you're laying it down in the bedroom, man, that's a form of manipulation. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's, that, that's a form of manipulation worth learning, all right? Oh, yes. <laughs> you want to talk about a power trip. That, that's a whole and, it works both, and it works both ways, too. Yes, it does. That's a, that's a whole other line of mastery right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm gonna, yeah he's going he's gonna to start cleaning up a little bit more. He's going to start doing the lawn a little bit more this week. <laughs> 
and I'm going to show him how. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that, that's going to be a great show, man. You know, this podcast is so much fun, man. Having Charles Daly on today, that was such a cool conversation, especially how honest he was at the beginning. And then just, yeah, I think it's really good. Cause like, you know, like cool, I said, I had some people that, you know, they, 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 they were probably doing workshops right around the time all that stuff was happening, Charles. And my thing is, I'm always when there's always three sides of every story your, yeah. your side, their side, and the truth. And yeah. so, and a lot of people are too quick to jump, like, oh, jump on the back, like, yeah, that, I can't believe he did this and this. You know, I had to wonder, like, okay, that just, that just sounds a little off. I'm wondering what's going on. Right, you know? right. And, yeah, you know, even he admitted he probably could have been handled a lot better, but you know what? We're human, we screw up, and, you know, he's in the process of trying to put it all back together. So, and, and again, how, how many of us are, like, living such a perfect life that we haven't been there? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we've all been there. We could all be there again. So I mean, it's, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of lessons to learn from Charles' story because you know he he lost everything from making some bad decisions. Basically, yeah. not everything. He still has his health, and he's not living in a box. But I mean, he lost a lot. Obviously, a lot of stuff, a lot of hard work is gone. But he learned a lot from that. He's moving forward. But then we we can learn from his example in the sense that okay, let's make sure we don't make those mistakes as well. Right. Because there's definitely a lesson to be learned there. When it, it, like, like I always said, man, like, you know, if your personal life is full of negativity, it is impossible to persevere in other arenas of your life. It is going to permeate into every facet of your life, your business, your training, your personal well-being. Impossible. I mean, the, the people you have in your personal life, especially your most intimate relationships, it is critical that those are the right people for you. Yeah, you can't make the right yeah. stuff, man. It's no different than a diet. Like people always say, you can't outtrain a bad diet. But dude, you can't you can't outperform an effed up life. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> you know, an effed up personal experience. You know, so because you take all that stuff in, and all that stuff nurtures anything else you do as far as productivity. So yeah. if everything you take in is crap, you're gonna produce crap. You you know, again, there's a you know, you reap what you sow. So you get dirt, you know, you don't give out dirt. Right. Yeah, it's so true, man. But other than that, let's see, I've got Holland coming up this weekend in Rotterdam, be there on Saturday and Sunday teaching, and then I've got a workshop in New York City in September, just one day there, and then back to the UK in October, and, and then uh, Dublin the weekend after that. That'll be the last workshop for the year, and uh, like I said, I'm, I'm done for, with workshops for a while. You know, next year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a break from workshops and you know, maybe I'll come up with some ideas for some new material, and I'll want to teach that. Who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll be so focused on other things I'm doing, I'll be done with workshops altogether. But I'm definitely taking a break from workshops for a while, and we'll see what happens with that. Maybe towards the end of next year, I'll want to put something on, maybe the following year. You know, maybe you and I will want to do something around the theme of the podcast, put on some big events in Vegas or Houston. Who knows? But right now, I'm going to take a break from it all for a while, for sure. So you hit. Yeah, man. How about yourself? As for me, still, um, like I said, still training for the International Kettlebell Games that we talked about last week. Yeah, that's right. Um, if anybody wants to learn more about that, you know, it's crazy. I had some, some people hit me up personally about that as well. Um, just go to internationalkettlebellgames.com. Um, again, I'm just competing in it. I'm not getting paid or anything. It's just bring it up. It's just something I'm excited about. It's always good to have something to motivate you and, and keep you focused and dialed in with your training. And instead of just leaving the chance and just showing up at the gym and just trying to get a workout in. You know, it's always right. good to have goals. So that's one of the main reasons why I even brought that up. And, again, I think it's very good for the whole culture of kettlebells to have something like this where it can kind of bridge all those different, like, branches of kettlebell training together 
whether, you know, you're in the hard style, whether you're in kettlebell sport, whether, you, you know, you incorporate kettlebells with CrossFit, or you just do it when you follow Mike's program for, you know, strength and, and power. You know, you, this is one of those ways you can kind of really measure, you know, where you are with your training with kettlebells, um, as well as using other tools as well. So that's what I like about that. Other than that, man, I'm just working on some other stuff behind the scenes right now that I don't want to just keep, you know, I don't want to bring it up until they're ready to go. Otherwise, right. it's like, oh, you keep talking about that, but nothing's happening or whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah, right. you're talking about that again, but I've yet to see it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, you know, to sit there and talk about, yeah, this is, this is going to be this, this, and this, that's just a big lie because it hasn't happened. I'm just making something up. It's just an illusion. So, I'm not, you know, again, as, as things get closer to developing, then, then I'll start bringing it up. But definitely going to start moving to, more toward um, online coaching and not just from a fitness aspect of it as well, more holistically, and not the touchy-feely holistically stuff you're saying. It's, it's a big shout-out. Um, as a matter of fact, we, um, we had some feedback um, from Roland Denzel. He had, like, posted on my page that he really loves the podcast, and he loves the fact that, we, you know, we, the way we incorporate just the fitness aspect, business, and even just more of the life experience and the personal development without being touchy-feely. He really appreciates that. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's one thing we don't really do. We don't really do touchy-feely, well, at least, you know, not with our listeners, but I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, and not with each other either, just to, just no, to clarify. Hell that. no. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, yeah, so I, I think people kind of appreciate the way that, the way we, you know, bring the whole personal development side of things here. Again, without all the stuff like we just mentioned earlier with Charles, like, you know, something from the aspect of secret and, oh, is this woo-woo type stuff or, Right. Or even just the whole other things like you get like the other, like Tony Robbins. It can be very, seem like it's very aggressive up in your face, but at the same time, it's just like, look, dude, we're just like two big brothers just kind of telling you how it is. And what you do with that information is up to you. And that's just how it should be. So, yeah, that, that's the way, exactly. exactly. Not preachy, you know, like, oh, you shouldn't be People doing should, this. Da, da, da. Right, like, real no, talk, this is what real we experiences, get. just opinions, and then you, you, you decide what you're going to do. Yeah, it's just like, that's hey, this is where we all screwed up. And you don't have to go that route. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, just other things I'm working on. I've got my, my Restore Zyme, which is a systemic enzyme product with a potent extract of ginger. That should be out, I would say, first or second week of September. That's going to be awesome. Nice. I, just, I just put the finishing touches on an adrenal energy type product. It's going to have things such as rhodiola, ashwagandha, and let's see what are some of the other ingredients in there. Rhodiola, ashwagandha, ashilajet. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing that properly. But anyway, and then, yeah, I can't pronounce it, but I know what it is, folks. So that's, <laughs> why, that's why it's in the formula. <laughs> right? But anyway, right. This, is, this is a cool formula. So this is going to be something for those of you with adrenal fatigue. You know, you're waking up, your energy is really low, and then at night your energy goes way up and you can't go to sleep. You know, that's a common sign of adrenal fatigue. So something that just gets your energy up during the day, so your cortisol is lower in the evening, and you get into a proper circadian rhythm cycle. So that's something that probably won't come out for a couple of months. I have, to, I have the formula done with it. Cordyceps is one of the other ingredients in it, but it's, it's a cool formula. And also when you're buying supplements, folks, and you see like 30 ingredients in a, in a product where you're only taking one or two caps a day, that's a good sign that you're not getting anywhere near an effective dose. Because right. having formulated a few products now, I can tell you four is pretty much the maximum you can put into one capsule where you don't have to, where you can have, where it's, where it's a reasonable dosing, meaning that you're not taking more than, let's say, three or four caps total per day. Because otherwise, you're taking 10 caps and one bottle lasts a week, or, you're, or it's in a powder format where you're taking several scoops. 
bottom line, and then you don't really know how things are interacting with each other as well. And that's the other challenge for a formulator is when you put stuff together, in theory, you might be like, wow, these three ingredients, I bet there'll be a synergistic effect where in practice there's actually an antagonistic effect where, it's, where they're, they're canceling the benefits out of each other. So it's, it's right. not as simple as let's just put everything in there and see what happens. It's, you really have to look at how one thing affects another and, and what makes sense. So anyway, I'll talk more about that stuff as it gets closer, but the Enzyme product will be out probably first, second week of September. Adrenal Energy product will definitely be out before Christmas. I would say probably maybe November or something like that. And then I'm working on a plant-based protein blend. Actually, the company Growing Naturals, they're going to formulate that for me. And I want to have pea, rice, and hemp. So it's a blend of three different species as opposed to just overusing one. Right. And that way you get a nice balance of the amino acids and things like that. So right now I'm just testing samples. I'm looking at different sweetener blends, you know, stevia with other things versus stevia alone, et cetera. Just making sure I have – the quality I already know is good because they have great protein. Now I just want to make sure it tastes good because, let's be honest, if a protein powder tastes like crap, no one's going to use it no matter what right. the benefits are. So anyway, that's all the fun and, fun and games I have going on now. And good talk, man. This is a good one. I really yeah, enjoyed talking good to one, you, man. Yeah, it was fun. So, yeah, man, have fun over in Holland. And um, everybody, make sure you check us out online. You can hit us up on Twitter, at Mike Mahler or at Sincere Hogan. Um, use the hashtag LLA podcast. That always helps us find your comments a lot faster. Um, also, also check us out on Facebook, Facebook fan page, this LLA podcast. Really easy to find. And make sure you share this information with all your friends, man. Uh, and before we leave, always, you know, if you can, hop over to transitionsglobal.org. Great organization. See what those guys are doing over there to help young ladies who have been victimized with sex trafficking. And just see what you can do. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. I concur with that. Great organization, transitionsglobal.org. Check out episode 10 that we did with the founder, James Pond. And, again, it's all about helping victims of human trafficking, helping abolish human trafficking. It's, it's one of those causes where I feel like everyone, no matter what your political or religious backgrounds are, can get behind. I mean, no, no one should have to suffer like these ladies, and in some cases young boys, too, are going through. So we can all get behind that and support. And, and again, it's not one of those things where don't feel that if you can only donate 10 or $20 that that's somehow insulting. Everything helps. So you don't have to donate $1,000 or $500. $5, $10, $20, whatever you can afford. It's a good organization. It's, it's going to go to good use. Yep. So check it out. All right. So there you go. So we'll talk to everybody next week. Looking forward to having Robert Green on the show. And uh, can't wait. Hey, keep sending us your feedback. Hop over to iTunes and leave that review. Honest feedback. We love it. All right. Thanks a lot, folks. Thanks, everyone.